That is Billy Squire from 1984, Rock Me Tonight. Welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio, the Druff and Friends show. Just five short days after our last show, a rare Saturday show at 2 in the afternoon. We're here on Thursday night at 6.30 Pacific Time, starting right on time this time. I'm trying to do better with that, as I know we started late in the past. But trying to be more predictable with the time, because I hate saying... The show starts at 6.30, and then new listeners show up at 6.30, and I'm not here. Someone's saying I have a cold again. No, I don't have a cold. If I sound that way, it should dissipate while I'm talking here. At least I hope it will. We have a big free roll tonight. And if you're listening live, you're going to have a good chance to win it because we always have a much smaller crowd for the free roll when... We have a different night than Tuesday night for the broadcast. Certain people get used to the show on Tuesday, and if it's not on Tuesday, then they're not here listening live. So tonight we have $103 for the free roll. And you have a while to get there. It starts in a little bit over an hour. It's 7.40 Pacific Time. It's on the No Fraud Online Poker Room. $50 for first, $25 for second. 15 for third, 8 for fourth, 5 for fifth. I don't know why I'm telling you about this first. I usually get into this about 10 minutes into the show, but I just think it's great that we have a big free roll this week, and anyone listening live here has a pretty good shot of winning. Now, to win the free money, you need to have a registered account on the Poker Fraud Alert Forum dated June 1st, 2013 or beforehand. If you do not have a registered account on the Poker Fraud Alert Forum dated June 1st, 2013 or before, then you must email me, dandruff at pokerfraudalert.com, dandruff at pokerfraudalert.com, and 
convinced me you've been listening to the show for at least three weeks by telling me things that have not been in the show description. And I will grant you an exception, but you need to do this before the free roll starts at 740. Otherwise, you'll have to wait till next week to play, which, again, is just five days from now. So after having very few shows for a while, now we're having three in the span of 15 days. Anyway, here are the ways to get a hold of me during the show. You can always call our main phone number, which is 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355. You can also reach me on the Mount Charleston line. Mount Charleston is a mountain that hangs over Las Vegas, about 45 minutes away by car. does get snow during the winter. I have an old 70s telephone that sits on top of Mount Charleston. I do go visit it around the springtime usually. Still snow up there, by the way. Not right now, but when I go visit it in the spring. That phone number is 702-430-1808, 702-430-1808 to read the Mount Charleston line. Either way, you need to dial star 82 before calling me or show your caller ID through an option on your phone. Otherwise, you will not reach me. Other ways to get a hold of me, you can text me at the show's main phone number, 775-372-8355. That's 775-372-8355. And I will read your text on the air unless you ask me not to. You can text me during the show, before the show, or after the show. Text me anytime at that phone number, 775-372-8355, which is our main call-in number as well. You can also talk to me in the chat room. Now, beware, I don't read everything in the chat room because it's too hard to follow a scrolling chat room as I'm doing a show by myself. But you can still find me in there, and I'll read some comments from there, and you can talk with the other live listeners of the show. That's found by clicking on the chat button near the top of the screen on PokerFraudAlert.com, and you have to have a registered account on PokerFraudAlert's forum to be able to chat. You also need a flash-enabled device, meaning iPhones and iPads, unfortunately, will not work in the chat room. So those are the ways to get a hold of me during the show, and feel free to do so, especially if you're a new listener, but whoever you are. I do like interaction. I can do the show without interaction, but I do like when there's forms of interaction, even if it's kind of silly and stupid. You can... Feel free to interact with me or the other listeners in any way you wish. The only thing I ask is you don't screw with the chat room. Sometimes we'll have someone coming in and you know trying to spam the chat room or whatever. Just don't do that. Do not do that. It's not very nice. So I'm going to read some things from the chat right now. This is from S. Double, who says, Still no Kim Shannon post, referring to her blog responding to Amanda Musumichi, and that bitch is going deep in a 125 guarantee at Maryland Live. Maybe she'll win the money for Amanda and still not pay. Hmm. Well, we'll talk about that a little bit later in the show. Amanda, not Amanda, uh, Kim Shannon has been in very much, very much with, (laughs) she's been contacting me a lot, let me put it that way. There's been a lot of messages from Kim Shannon privately to me since I did the last show five days ago. And I'm not going to read those messages 
on the air because they're private. But I will tell you in general what she's been saying to me and why we have not seen her blog responding yet. So there is an update to that story for sure. Let me give you the rest of the agenda, though. This is what we'll be talking about tonight. Well, Poker Stars has been around since 2002. I found it in early 2003. And it's always been poker only. You could not play casino games there. You definitely could not do sports betting. It was just poker. Poker and only poker on Poker Stars. And the reason for that wasn't that uh, Poker Stars didn't want to offer casino gambling. It's just uh, they didn't want to get the U.S. government too interested in them. And I'm talking about before Black Friday, before they got busted, even before the UIGEA was passed. They knew that poker was kind of a gray area legally, but casino gambling and especially sports betting were not. And they they knew that the sites that were getting busted at the time were ones that were offering house-based gambling games like casino gambling and sports betting. So they stayed away from that, as did most poker sites. Not all, but as did most poker sites at the time. Well, now that uh, Poker Stars is out of the U.S. market, now they're saying, hey, why not? And Amaya, Poker Stars' new owner, in addition to recently shedding some pros that they thought were not carrying their weight as far as their value to the company, Amaya is making some more changes, including bringing a casino to Poker Stars and even more shocking, a sports book. Can you imagine sports betting on poker stars? That's so strange. Now, if you're a U.S. player, you won't be able to do that because it's still not open to U.S. players for anything. But uh, they are going to bring a casino to poker stars very soon. They've been testing it on full tilt. And they're going to bring sports betting shortly after that. We'll talk about that, and I will give you my opinion as to whether that's a good or bad thing. There's good sides and bad sides to these additional forms of gambling being brought to poker stars. Well, as I mentioned, Kim Shannon has been in direct contact with me since I read Amanda Musumichi's accusations against her last week. But I'm getting the other side from Kim Shannon herself. Last week I got the other side from one of Kim Shannon's friends, but now I'm getting it directly from Kim. She has not yet posted on Poker Fraud Alert. I don't even know if she will. But she has told me a lot of things privately, and I've told her some things privately. And hopefully we will see a blog from her soon. Do we have one yet? The answer is no. I'll talk about that situation and what Kim has been saying to me on the second topic of tonight's show. Well, let's say you've been getting into the whole Bitcoin thing, but uh, you're not a hardcore Bitcoin follower. And you don't want the danger of holding Bitcoins on a wallet on your own machine. You just want something quick and easy. You want something quick and easy to buy Bitcoins and store the Bitcoins securely and sell the Bitcoins and, of course, uh, have an address to where uh, Bitcoins can be sent and you know be able to send Bitcoins to other people. So basically, you want to be able to do everything with Bitcoin, 
but uh, not go through all that much hassle with getting the whole thing set up, which is one of Bitcoin's biggest weaknesses as far as growth is that it's just it's just too hard for most people. And it's too much of a pain in the ass to get going. Well, a company called Coinbase has attempted to make it easier to bring Bitcoin to the general public. And they've actually grown very large. They were one of the companies in the forefront of criticizing Mt. Gox and quickly making a statement condemning them when Mt. Gox crashed down and stole everyone's Bitcoin. But Coinbase is really uh, becoming a big deal in the U.S. And something has happened recently with Coinbase that I think should get the attention of anyone into online poker or online gambling. And that is Coinbase has been banning accounts that are using their service to deposit into online gambling or online poker sites. And yes, I'm sure you might be wondering, that does include a certain online poker site using bitcoins that is run by someone I used to co-host the radio with. Not this radio show, but a previous radio show I was part of for a long time. And that person is now running a Bitcoin poker site. That is one that is specifically targeted by this whole thing by Coinbase. I'll talk about what's happening there. Interesting story for sure. Noah Boken has been around for a long time. He plays as exclusive on PokerStars. He was on PokerStars, I believe, even before I was. I believe when I showed up there in early 03, he was already there. And he was a very young guy at the time. He's not as young anymore, obviously. But uh, a Dutch guy. Likeable guy. I met him in person in uh, St. Kitts in 2005. And we happened to get rooms next door to one another. Before that, we kind of been talking some trash to each other on stars, but not, nothing that serious. You know, it was just kind of trash talking while playing and... Once we met in person, we got along very well. Uh, never been a good friend of mine or anything, but someone, if I see him around, you know, he says hello to me, I say hello to him. Always been a nice guy as far as my interactions with him. Well, recently he has accused Jungle Man, a.k.a. Daniel Cates, of hiring a hitman to collect debts from people. I hate to keep using this sound effect, but uh, it's it's appropriate with every topic we're talking about tonight. So on PokerStars, in the chat box, he was accusing Daniel Cates, Jungle Man, of hiring a hitman to go after debts against another poker player in front of the guy's family. We'll talk about that and how credible that accusation is, in my opinion. Well, Brandon Drexel Gerson came on this show a few weeks ago, helped run the Mark Newhouse interview that we did. And uh, we're still in talks with Brandon about bringing him back to the show, at least as a semi-regular co-host. I know that most of you really enjoy when he's on here. 
he made a post, and he's not a big forum poster. He never has been. But he made a post last night about his experience at Caesars Palace and more specifically the Caesars Sportsbook there in Las Vegas and how he got caught up in a big mess involving the Giants-Cubs game. That's San Francisco Giants versus the Chicago Cubs, the weird game that got called after five innings and the Cubs won, you know, called due to rain only to have the game uncalled and finished today, days later. First time anything like that has happened in like 28 years. We'll talk about that game, and we'll talk about how Brandon has anything to do with it. And maybe we can get a hold of Brandon to even talk about it himself. We'll see. I'll just try to cold call him and see if I can reach him. Well, we had the robbery of Caesars in Atlantic City and we had eight people arrested in relation to that robbery but you would think once money makes it onto an armored truck and the truck starts moving that the money's pretty safe you know getting it to the armored truck there have been robberies but once the truck is moving it's pretty safe especially if there is nobody trying to hijack the truck so say you have money on an armored truck and nobody is trying to hijack the armored truck you would think the money is almost as good as cash in the bank well apparently not because twenty thousand dollars cash fell off of an armored truck leaving the Ravel casino in atlantic city (laughs) you heard that right it actually did fall off the truck so we'll talk about that weird story the Revelders can't catch a break. They're going to be closed within a few weeks. Alan Kessler tried to get him on the show, but he didn't respond. I mean, he probably would come on. And he always wants to talk to me about things like this when he sees me around, you know, on the tournament floor or whatever. Like, he'll come up to me and say, hey, did you hear about this? And he'll tell, he'll tell me about something that he is perceiving as unfair occurring at some uh, venue. And wants my support. So I'm sure he would come on. He was on this show I don't know, a, few, a few months ago. But he is complaining about the quantum rebuy format at the WPT Legends of Poker. Now, what is the quantum rebuy? It sounds weird, doesn't it? What does quantum have to do with poker? Well, I don't know why they call it the quantum rebuy. But basically, it's a way to leapfrog over day one, pay more money, and just start on day two with more chips. So instead of having to play day one and worry if you make it through or build up chips, you just you just get like average chips on day two by paying a premium to enter the tournament. Alan Kessler is not very happy about this at all, and you know what? I'm not either, and I thought of something like this a while ago. Never posted about it, just kind of sitting around one day and I thought about something like this and I thought of a variation of it to where you can also sell your chips off early. I'll talk about my ideas and why I never ended up really proposing them to any poker room or tournament director because I decided it wasn't a good idea. Finally, an editorial tonight. You know, it's hard to have an editorial every week about poker or gambling. There's just... I already give my opinion during the show about the topics of the week. This is not just a news show. I talk about what's going on and then give my opinion. 
So I don't want to repeat that by giving an editorial on something that I already gave my opinion earlier in the show. So that leaves me with topics for the editorial that I'm not talking about on the show prior to that, which makes it hard to come up with topics, honestly. So I started throwing in some topics that have nothing to do with poker or gambling and just general editorials, and that's tonight. I've had some debates with people recently about the best way to approach a company when you need to speak to someone in customer service or when you need a problem resolved, shall I say, a billing error or some other issue that occurred that you're unhappy about or need corrected, what's the best way of doing it? Should you call them or should you write a letter to their corporate headquarters? Well, a lot of people seem to believe that letter writing is the way to get things done. I am very, very much in disagreement with that. I say always call. Do not ever write letters unless you have to. And I will explain why on the editorial at the end of the show. So that's our agenda. If you want to try to call me during the show, you can do so. 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355, Those are the phone numbers. If I don't answer, just try back in about 15 minutes or so. So, and by the way, in the chat room, uh, S-Double's asking if they stole my idea for the quantum rebuy. No, I never told anyone my idea, so they could not have stolen anything. It was just an idea in my head. I've had this before, by the way, not just in poker, but I've had, like, ideas about things. And I never tell anyone, and I never pursue them, and I never write them anywhere. I just think, oh... This sounds like a good idea, or maybe I should do this, or maybe I should come up with this, or maybe I should suggest someone or some company do this. And then I say, nah, or just kind of forget about it. And then later on, sometimes I'll see the exact idea in play or something very close to it. Obviously, they didn't steal it from me, but then I regret never pursuing it in the first place. One of the ideas I had was in 1994, I thought, hey, You know what seems like a good idea? I should buy a bunch of dot-com names, just regular dot-com names, like whatever common word dot-com. Buy them for like 50 bucks each, whatever they were at the time, and hoard them and sell them to businesses later. I thought that might be a good idea. And then I said, nah, this seems like too much trouble. (laughs) I really thought about that. That was really an idea I had. Could have made many millions of dollars on that one. But quantum rebuys were not going to make me millions of dollars. Let's uh, go to our first topic. Poker Stars is offering sports betting. Not is. Will offer sports betting and a casino soon. Well, uh, Amaya Gaming bought Poker Stars and they are very quickly making their presence known. Now, their CEO is named David Bazov. And, you know, whenever a company buys another company, a lot of times they want to put their stamp on things. They say, why stick with the status quo if we have ideas that we think could boost revenue? Sometimes one company buying another can be a very good thing because it inspires innovation. It uh, shakes things up. Uh, A lot of times people at the top of a company are afraid to take risks and uh, 
are afraid to do anything different. And when uh, a different company buys them, then it's uh, a lot of times those risks are taken. Uh, other times, when one company buys another, they can ruin what was good about the company before. And what will happen with Amaya owning PokerStars, we will see. They have the same basic management in place, but really, what really matters is the people at the top. And the people at the top, when they make decisions that impact the management below, that can really change everything, and a good company can go into the toilet very quickly. But sometimes a good company can actually improve and become a great company, or a great company can become a greater company. So too early to judge Amaya yet, but they did a conference call to discuss a number of topics regarding PokerStars and... uh, their company in general. I actually have the full transcript of the call. You can probably find it if you just Google Amaya call transcript poker stars, but it's on onlinepokerreport.com. I'm not going to read the transcript. It would take forever. But um, I'll give you the highlights here. First of all, uh, they did an analysis Amaya, and determined that about half of PokerStars' existing active players are playing on casinos or sportsbooks on another site. So they're saying that half the people want to do these things but can't do them on PokerStars and have to go elsewhere. So that was what made them really want to explore this, is if half their customers want a service they're not offering, they're asking themselves, why are we not offering it? Why are they going elsewhere instead of staying with us? We've got to keep them here by offering these services so they don't leave. Uh, Now, there is a casino on full tilt, but it's only offered to uh, a small percentage of players. But they claim the results of the Full Tilt Poker Casino are, quote, encouraging. And they say they will be significantly scaling up their casino exposure in their online products, that's Full Tilt and Poker Stars, that they're going to do this in the fourth quarter of 2014 and throughout 2015. So they are going to add a casino to PokerStars. And they're going to add the ability for a lot more people on Full Tilt to play in their existing casino there. So they really want to get into this whole uh, casino gaming thing online. They think there's a lot of money to be made there. And of course there is, because casino games are a big money maker. It's a guaranteed money maker for the company because the odds are with the house. I mean, we've known this for many decades. And online, it's much easier because they don't have to take up any kind of space. They don't have to hire dealers. There's a lot they don't have to do that uh, is required at a brick-and-mortar casino. So, and, and these games can move a lot faster. I mean, they can make a ton in casino gambling and here they're facing the players directly rather than just having to pick off a piece of the rake of every pot that's raked here so and furthermore with casino gaming there are no long-term winners taking money out of the site you may have the occasional lucky winner but there's no 
professional casino player that could take money off their site. So they're not going to have the people, the grinders on there that are routinely withdrawing money out of the site, which uh, also makes it better for them. On this call, they also talked about how regulation of online poker in Russia will probably come in the middle of 2015. So they expect that as well. They are saying that they are developing an in-house sports book for 2015 to exist on PokerStars. They have not completely sold themselves on the idea of running in-house developed software. They are exploring the idea of perhaps buying sportsbook software from another site. But they have already set aside a piece of the budget to develop a sportsbook product in-house that will roll out in 2015. And very soon they're going to make the decision uh, whether they're going to develop their own product, which I'm sure will be very good because they, PokerStars has developed great software, or if they're going to buy something else and just license it. But they're going to have a sports book in 2015. If you're from the U.S., you can't play on there, but they're going to have a sports book. So they also made a comment about Canada. They said every single province in Canada has been discussed with some of them before the transaction as well. I would say from a compliance or regulatory perspective, the revenue base that's being generated as it relates to poker is already done and approved from a compliance perspective. We're now looking at markets from a casino and sports betting perspective in terms of those growth initiatives. So they're saying basically that uh, uh, pretty soon they believe that they're going to comply with Canadian law in every province. And that's pretty much a done deal. And now they're trying to get Canada to allow them to offer casino and sports betting to Canadian residents. I know we have a number of Canadian listeners here, so that will definitely be of interest to you. I just kicked myself out of my own chat room. It's not good. I was going to see what our Canadian listeners had to say about this, and I closed the chat room. (laughs) Always something on this show. So uh, that's what's going on at PokerStars and Amaya Gaming. Now, how do I feel about this, aside from the fact that it doesn't affect me directly? Well, I have to think back to when I used to play on online poker sites that did have a sports book. This includes Bodog. This includes the Boss Media Network and several others. And I will say that the sports bettors were, by and large, some of the worst poker players I've ever played against. Uh, Basically, they would either lose in sports and want to sit with me and get the money back because they are chasing their losses, or they would win and feel they can throw their money around and sit with me and, again, try to run it up even more. And these were terrible players. I loved playing against Sportsbook players. Another place you played against sportsbook players was on Old Cake Poker, which is now a disaster, but uh, they used to be connected to sportsbook.com, and a lot of the players came from there. So, again, sportsbook players, you wanted them in your games. They were awful. So from that perspective, when people are on a site to bet sports, and then they sit 
in your poker game, it's a great thing. They're dead money. Most of them are awful, and even an average poker player has a huge edge over your typical sports better who sits down at a poker table. In fact, I can tell you the worst live player I've ever played against, and I'm not talking about like at low limits, I mean like at middle or upper limits, the worst ever live player I've ever played against, it was a guy at 150-300 at Bellagio, was a big sports better. So this would be a good thing, right? A sports book on poker stars? I'm, I'm saying things that would make you think that it would be nothing but good because my experiences in the past on other sites were good. But hold your, horse, hold your horses. I don't think it will be good. If you think about Bodog, you might be a poker player, but what do most people think about when they think about Bodog? They think about a sports book. What do you think of when you think about sportsbook.com? Well, you think about a sports book. And the same goes for many other sites that are sports books first and poker rooms second. So on those sites, you have a lot of people that are there to bet sports and then say, hey, why don't I give a shot at poker? And then they sit down and they're dead money and they pump money into the pockets of poker players. And that's a good thing for us. But that's not the situation with poker stars. Nobody goes on to poker stars with the intention to bet sports. Even if you could, that is not the site you would think of if you're a sports better who doesn't otherwise play much poker. You would not think, hey, I want to play, I want to bet sports tonight. Where should I do it? Oh yeah, poker stars. You're only going to think that if you're an existing poker player who knows that poker stars offer sports. Now maybe that will change. Maybe they will market it enough to attract the sports betting crowd who will then sit at the poker tables. But I'm afraid that that's not the way Poker Stars is going to do it. I'm afraid the way Poker Stars is going to do it is just making sports betting available to the degenerate poker players who want it. Because a lot of poker players want to bet sports, and they're not very good at it, by the way. A lot of them want to bet sports and can't do it on Poker Stars, and Poker Stars knows they're losing out on a lot of revenue there. But I don't think they're going to try to be a sports book that people go to without the intention to play poker. They're happy to take those people, but I don't think that's their intention, and I don't think that's the market share they're going to get. So what is going to happen? Well, what is going to happen is people are going to take money that they otherwise would have either withdrawn or lost at the tables and lose it betting sports. Now, if they're going to withdraw it, it doesn't really matter. If it's a pro who's going to withdraw the money and you know, spend it on himself or do whatever with it, save it, and instead he loses it back to poker stars, okay, who cares? That's his business. That's between him and poker stars. If he's a winning poker player, uh, it's not going to end up back in the poker community anyway. But, but, the losing players who otherwise would have lost their money back to the poker community now might lose it to poker stars itself. Think of the fish who wins a big tournament. I mean, I, I can go all the way back to 2003 when Poker Stars was offering tournaments, and that was a pretty novel concept in 2003. And I would be sitting by myself at 30-60 limit, and I would have people sit down with me, and I would crush them. They weren't good players, and I'd make a lot of money. 
And then I'd see them again a few weeks later. And again, they'd sit down with me. And again, I would crush them. And I got to know some of these guys. And I said, where the hell are they getting their money? Are these guys just rich? How do they keep showing up over and over and over at my 3060 table, losing just about every time, playing terribly, having no clue you know, how to play limit hold'em in a winning fashion? Are these guys just like depositing over and over and over? And then I understood. Then I understood. These were tournament players, and I didn't know this because I wasn't playing tournaments. But these were tournament players, some of them good tournament players, who would win tournaments on Poker Stars, and then the degenerate side of them would come sit down with me at 3060 Limit Hold'em. A lot of the winnings I had in 2003 on Poker Stars at 3060 Limit Hold'em came from tournament players who, instead of smartly cashing out that money, decided to take it to games they had no business in. Well, if there was a sports book at the time, there's a good chance they would not have done that. There's a good chance they would have instead fired it on the upcoming NFL game or the upcoming basketball game or the upcoming baseball game or whatever else they feel like betting on. Unfortunately now, when players who are otherwise losing players or even winning players that might sit down in games where they would be playing at a disadvantage because they have a degenerate side to them, because they like to risk their money in negative EV spots. Now, instead of sitting with you at the poker table, they may do sports betting instead against poker stars or casino gambling against poker stars. And that money may never make it into your pocket. So it's actually a bad thing for the poker community when a primarily poker site that attracts people who are there to play poker instead they start offering casino gambling or sports betting and those players instead of losing it at the poker table lose it back to the site itself. It's only a good thing if the site attracts those players in the first place who are primarily sports bettors or casino gamblers. That's a great thing. What's not a great thing is when poker players lose their money to those sources when they were there to play poker in the first place. Big difference there that you should keep in mind. So this is not something to look forward to. And if you're one of those players who's thinking of betting in the sports book or playing the casino games especially, don't. I mean, the sports book, if you want to do it for fun and you think you have an idea who's going to win the upcoming game or whatever, you know, do it. But don't don't delude yourself into believing that you're a great handicapper unless you have a long time of results to back it up, which very few of you, if any of you, do. But at least you can theoretically beat that. You probably can't, but at least theoretically you can. The casino games you can't beat. So please don't play those. Please just avoid the temptation. Please. Anyway. Let's uh, get to the next topic. Kim Shannon. Well, last week, 
I read a blog from Amanda Musumici, who ran very deep in the 2011 main event. And uh, she accused Kim Shannon, who currently works in media for Party Poker. And I guess is part of the Atlantic City poker scene. She accused Kim Shannon of stiffing her of $5,500 and stalling her for well over a year since November 2012. Basically owing her $5,500 from living with her for three months. And uh, that Kim has been stalling and stalling and lying to her about why she can't pay and when she will pay and dodging her. You know, the usual accusations when one person in poker owes another. And Amanda laid out her case. It was a pretty convincing case. I read her blog word for word on this show. I gave my commentary, basically saying, hey, you know, I don't know either of them, but... From what I can see here, it sounds like Amanda's the one in the right. This sounds like the classic deadbeat poker player scams another poker player story. And then the victim comes out and after finally getting tired of the excuses, exposes them. That's what it seemed like to me. But of course I didn't know for sure. The complicating factor was the fact that someone who has a good reputation in poker, I won't name them, and someone who is not known to be shady at all, came to me privately and said, you don't know the whole story. In reality, Kim Shannon is the victim here, and this will come out. Soon the truth will come out that Amanda Musumici is the bad one here. So I said, hmm, that's an interesting statement coming from this individual who is not known to defend scammers and is known to be a straight shooter and is known to be a respected person in poker, both by their ability at the tables and uh, their uh, reputation morally. But then I had somebody else telling me some things they thought about Kim Shannon that weren't very flattering. Not about this situation, but just they didn't like her and thought she was shady. So I didn't know what the hell to think. I was getting conflicting information from trustworthy parties. Well, Kim Shannon apparently listened to this show last week live. I don't know if she's listening now, but she listened live last week, and I got what can only be described as a barrage of messages from her that uh, have pretty much persisted for the last five days. She's been very talkative with me. She's been insisting to me that this is not what it appears to be. And, of course, I said to her, look, what you need to do is if you have any information that can refute what Amanda said about you, you need to come out with it right now. Right now, come with it. And show your proof Show why she's not telling the truth. Show why you're innocent. That's what you need to do. And she was saying she's going to come out with a blog. Now, originally the blog was supposed to come out Monday. Then it got stretched to Tuesday, then to Wednesday, then to Thursday. It's still still not out yet. 
There's still no blog yet. Right now it's uh, 7.15 at night. There's still no blog yet. But uh, she did say that she wanted to send me personally some of the evidence. And I said, okay, and gave her my email address. I have not received that yet, but she is swearing I'm going to get it within the next few days. Now, I know some of you, especially some of you out there who don't like Kim Shannon, I know there's some of you in the chat room who feel that way. Some of you are probably saying, hey, she's just messing with you now. She's never going to send anything. Well, I don't know if she's going to send anything or not, but it's pretty stupid to promise someone like me and to promise without me even asking for it, just come to me directly and say, hey, I'm going to send you this stuff. And I say, okay, and then never send it. That that looks pretty bad. That just That's going to end up making me uh, call you out further. So I don't see why someone would unsolicited approach me, say they're going to send me evidence, and then never send anything. It's possible, but I, I think she's going to send something. Now, whether it's convincing, whether I change my mind at all from reading it that remains to be seen but I, I I think something will be sent to me uh, she did say that Amanda's post her blog post was located with quote manipulations of the truth gross exaggerations and flagrant lies she didn't specify what all those were but that was uh what she had to say to me. And uh, she does say she has a lot of screenshots. Screenshots, not screenshots. <laughs> she has screenshots that will exonerate her from these accusations. Now, she was saying at one point that she's not going to bother with the blog after all because she doesn't feel that she should have to dignify this with a response or waste her time on this. <laughs> yeah. See, I, I hate answers like that And I told her, I said, no, 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 no no. I said, look, it's up to you what you do No one's going to force you to blog But if you have information That will change the public's view of you here If you've been falsely accused You would be a fool To sit back and let this go unanswered You should always respond when a public accusation is made against you that's easy to refute with the facts even if it isn't easy to refute anytime there's an accusation made against you and your character in public and especially once it's it's uh, gotten a lot of attention and there's a lot of coverage of it silence is the worst thing you can have unless you're guilty if you're not guilty you've got to come out with a proof that you're not guilty or as much proof as you have to tell your side and convince people that what's said about you is not true. And usually answers like, oh, I won't dignify that with a response. I don't want to waste my time on it. I don't have to answer just because someone says something bad about me. I mean, it depends. Like, if something is said that has zero credibility and nobody believes them and it's just... Uh, a ridiculous attack from out in the middle of nowhere. Like, let's say someone started posting, Todd would tell us Dan Druff is a member of Al-Qaeda and is going to be involved in the next uh, homeland terrorist attack. <laughs> I mean, that would be your answer. There's no way anyone, no matter what they think of me, would believe that. Even my biggest haters would never believe that I'm a member of Al-Qaeda or that I'm, that I'm a terrorist. So I would not have to respond to that because it's obviously not true. And nobody would give it any credit for being true. 
Um, but something, even something that's not likely for me to have done, but possible, I would need to respond to. Like let's say, let's say someone posted, uh, Todd would tell us stole twelve thousand dollars from me. Todd borrowed twelve thousand. He will not pay me back. He's stalling me. He's owed me for over a year. He won't pay me back twelve thousand uh, dollars. I think he scammed me. If I just sat there and did not respond to the person and said, "Hey, I shouldn't have to waste my time on this. This this is not uh, my obligation to respond to every accusation like this." Like, if I said that, I would look guilty. I would look guilty. And if the person posted screenshots that look, made it look like I was agreeing to pay them $12,000 and never did, then I would especially be stupid not to respond because here they would be presenting evidence making me look guilty and the only way I could make myself look unguilty is by refuting it with my own facts. And if you stay silent, then basically what you're saying is I don't have anything to refute this with because it's true. And if I say anything, I'll just look dumber and more guilty, so I'm just going to keep quiet. That's what silence means in these types of situations. So I was urging Kim, you've got to respond. You've got to put something up there. But uh, she seemed to be pushing away from it, saying that she'll send things to me privately. So okay, okay. I mean, I don't think that's doing her reputation any favors, but if she wants to send me things privately that might change my mind, then she's welcome to send me things privately, and I will look at it with a very open mind, and I will come out with my honest opinion. And I can tell you it will be my honest opinion because I'm not friends with either of them. I'm not on either side. That's the first thing I told her last week when she was texting me. She says, if I post a response, will you read it on your show? I said, of course I will. Of course. I'm not doing this to help Amanda. I'm not doing this because I'm friends with Amanda. I don't give a crap about Amanda. I don't give a crap about Kim Shannon. I don't know either of them. They're just poker peers to me. I don't dislike either of them, but I also don't know either of them. And therefore, I'm the most unbiased party you can get in this sort of thing. So I will state my honest opinion. And if it's things that are shown to me privately, I'll state my opinion on those. If it's things that are posted publicly, I'll post my opinion on those. Only thing I won't do is I, I won't reveal anything that's sent to me in private that's that I'm told not to reveal. I, I won't do that to anyone because uh, I, I don't want to reward people for sending me things privately with – well, it's not really reward. I'm being sarcastic here, but I, I don't want to harm people who choose to trust me to send me things privately. So if you say, hey, can I send you something privately? I'm not going to be a jerk and then post it publicly. Uh, in very extreme circumstances, uh, you know, sometimes I'd have to, but I mean really extreme circumstances where someone or something is in danger or whatever. But uh, everything else, I, I would keep my word, even if I don't like you personally. Or even if I've been critical of you recently. So if I say, yes, I will take this and not post it, then I won't post it. So we'll see. We'll see what she sends me. Uh, she sent me a lot of text messages, I'll say that. But so far I have not received anything that convinces me to think any differently than last week. But maybe I will. We will see. I will give her a chance. Now I'll say if by next show, five days from now, I don't get the stuff, I'll get pretty skeptical by that point. 
hockey guy, I think he knows me so well. I, I don't know if he noticed I was hesitating and figured I was probably reading the chat or just happened to say it. He says, fuck you, Druff, in the chat, which he always does when he knows I'm reading. And he said it like the moment I looked at the, at the uh, chat and started reading. But maybe from listening to the show so many times, hockey guy knows that when there's that kind of weird hesitation, that's me reading the chat room and trying to still talk at the same time, which is tough. Which is tough. All right. Before we move on to the next topic, let me read some texts I'm getting here. From the 641 area code, what's Judonk doing? Well, you can ask him. I mean, he posts on the site all the time now. Uh, from the 410, Druff, you should have gotten an idea to drop Ken Scaler years ago. No, I don't want to drop Ken Scaler. That's not very nice. From the 773 area code, shout out to Slim T's Cancer. That's not very nice either. 901 area code, hi, Todd. Who is your favorite avatar on True Poker? I was always the robot or the alien. Keep up the good work, man. I could swear I got that before. <laughs> Maybe this guy's going senile. He definitely sent me that before. Unless it just happened to... Resend. I, have you ever gotten text messages before that were sent a long time ago and kind of just regenerate in some way? It doesn't happen often, but I've had it before. I even had that happen on Twitter, where Twitter will send me text messages anytime someone mentions me in some way on Twitter. And I started getting text messages from Saturday of like Kev Math retweeting that the show was on, and it was really odd because these were all sent on Saturday, and I got them at the time, and then I got them again today. Really weird. So seven seven five three seven two eight three five five our phone number and our text number during the show, and I will read your text on the air as I just did to these people, unless you ask me not to. All right, so let's talk about Coinbase. Coinbase is very simply a Bitcoin wallet for the masses. It's they they their slogan is Bitcoin safe and easy. Coinbase is an international digital wallet that allows you to securely buy, use, and accept Bitcoin. That's what it says on their front page, and that's the truth. That's what they do. So uh, Coinbase is basically making Bitcoin easy. Coinbase is taking a lot of the technological nerdery out of Bitcoin to where the average person can use it. Now, there's still some pain-in-the-ass factors with Coinbase as far as funding your account with Bitcoin. It can be very slow, and you have to wait a number of days, and you have to verify yourself. And there's, You can't just like quickly go on and start using Bitcoin, but it's, it's probably the quickest process there is if you want to get online quickly and have your Bitcoin stored in what looks like a reliable company. Well, Coinbase... Of course, they are based in the U.S., and they are backed by Americans. So unlike Bitcoin, which in itself is kind of meant to thumb its nose at you know, regular monetary currencies, regular currencies that uh, uh, are associated with a particular country or government, uh, Bitcoin is basically rebelling against that. It's like international cash that's supposed to be untraceable. And Coinbase, well, they, they kind of are uh, a little different there. You know, Bitcoin has no rules. Bitcoin has no 
central authority that processes it. Coinbase does have rules. Coinbase is a little bit scared because Coinbase does not want to take the uh, we'll do whatever the hell we want attitude. They don't want to be the anarchists that are known to be the Bitcoin diehards because they're trying to run a business here and they're trying to keep the federal government of the United States off their backs. So for a long time, there has been question as to whether or not Bitcoin gambling is legal. And I'm including Bitcoin poker. Any kind of gambling with Bitcoin, is it legal? Well, there's two ways to look at it. One way to look at it is that Bitcoin is not a real currency. People buy and sell them for real money, but a Bitcoin is still not a currency. And playing for Bitcoins is almost like playing for marbles or playing for Tic Tacs or playing for... uh, wooden chips you find on the floor. It's legal to play poker for those things. It's legal to gamble for those things. So why should it be illegal to play for Bitcoins just because some people are ascribing a value to them and paying for them? That's one point of view as to why Bitcoin gambling should be legal because it's not a currency. You're gambling just a, a, a virtual coin that people made up online kind of gambling play money that then some people then take and sell. That's one way to look at Bitcoin. But another way to look at it is that Bitcoin gambling is definitely associated with real gambling, that all the Bitcoin gambling sites are meant to have people trade money for Bitcoin and Bitcoin for money, and that it's just kind of a middleman allowing you to gamble for real money. Think about this. PokerStars is out of the U.S. market for poker, right? What if PokerStars said, okay, we're going to let U.S. players back in to PokerStars, but you can't deposit cash. You can only deposit PokerStars coins, which you can buy from a third party at whatever rate per PokerStars coin. You can gamble those, and then if you win PokerStars coins on our site, then you can trade them back with these third parties for regular money at your discretion. Would that be a good idea? Would that be something that uh, would go over with the federal government? Would they say, well, okay, as long as you're not gambling for cash, you're only gambling for PokerStars coins, well, then it should be fine. Of course not. The government would see right through that and say, no, this is gambling for real money with just an extra step. You're converting real money to PokerStars coins, then gambling the PokerStars coins, then converting them back to real money. And that's basically what Bitcoin gambling is. No matter what form of Bitcoin gambling you're doing, you're converting real money to Bitcoin, playing with the Bitcoins, and if you win, then you convert it back to real money. So yes, you are gambling real money. Now, yeah, it's possible you have existing Bitcoin that you never paid for, but uh, most of the people bought the Bitcoin in some way or got them from someone for some kind of uh, goods in lieu of cash. Basically, Bitcoin has its popularity not because it's a cool cryptocurrency, but because it is seen to have real value. It doesn't have any actual value. A Bitcoin is not really worth anything, but it's worth as much people are willing to pay for it. And because it's now in such popular use, and because there's so many people who want want Bitcoins, uh, it's pretty easy to trade massive amounts of Bitcoin 
for a lot of cash. So I don't personally believe that anyone running a Bitcoin gambling site can claim it's legal, can claim that you're just gambling Bitcoin and not money. I'm sure they feel differently than I do. And the way I feel doesn't matter. What matters is how the Department of Justice feels and if the Department of Justice wants to clamp down on this. Believe me, they're aware of this. They're aware of every single Bitcoin gambling site out there. The question is, do they want to go after them? Because none of them are very big. And the Department of Justice seems to only like to go after things that are very large, if you've noticed. They don't tend to go after the small fish. But occasionally they do. So Coinbase has decided that they want no part of this Bitcoin gambling. They don't want to be seen as the middleman to process cash transactions for gambling. They just don't want it. They don't want to be seen that way. If you remember, playing online poker is not illegal. Depositing and withdrawing from online poker sites is not illegal in the U.S. What's illegal is being the processor of money or running a site and accepting that money. So basically... It's the process of buying in and cashing out. Actually, it's just the buying in, not even the cashing out. It's the buying in that is illegal. And uh, that's why they went after payment processors, because they were the ones who were translating your U.S. cash into virtual money online. And that's why they went after the sites themselves, because they were also getting your U.S. cash through the processor in the process of buying in online. Anyway, Coinbase did not want to be seen as a payment processor. So they have decided to crack down on Bitcoin gambling. And they are doing so by closing accounts of people who are using their site to directly buy in to gambling sites. Coinbase wrote an email to a player on a certain Bitcoin poker site that is run by a certain person that I used to be friends with. This is what the letter said. This was not to the guy I know. This was to a player on his site. It said, Upon review of your Coinbase account, we have determined that we can no longer provide you access to Coinbase services. Please understand that Coinbase is a regulated money service business under the FinCEN division of the U.S. Treasury Department, and as such, we are required to review accounts in order to ensure compliance with regulations. Gambling is illegal under U.S. law. Even if you live outside the U.S., we cannot provide services to your account for the purpose of any type of gambling activity. Please note that we have not blocked access to the Bitcoin balance in your Coinbase account. While we can no longer process transaction of this Bitcoin via our banking relationship, you may send this Bitcoin to a local wallet or another Bitcoin address. In the event that your controls change and you are, uh, and you are able to prevent such activity from occurring on your platform, please let us know and we'll be happy to review your compliance program and evaluate your account and see if we can support it in the future. So what are they saying here? They're saying to this guy, we've noticed you are using 
Coinbase to deposit into this particular gambling site. And we don't like that. We're not allowing it. We're afraid that we're going to get in trouble with the feds. So what we've done here is we're not letting you cash your bitcoins out or do any kind of transactions anymore. But what you can do is uh, you can send these uh, these bitcoin out elsewhere. So you, we're not taking your bitcoin, but you're going to have to uh, take them elsewhere. T- take your bitcoins and get out of here is basically what they're saying. So they, they've banned this person's account. They did say, if you can convince us that you are not uh, going to be doing this anymore, maybe we'll give you another shot. But we're not promising you anything. That's basically what they're saying. And um, I think that's interesting because it's possible that Coinbase didn't do this on their own. It's possible that Coinbase has been getting some pressure from the feds and saying, hey, 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 are you guys becoming payment processors here for Bitcoin gambling? And they're saying, no, 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 we're not doing that. In fact, we're going to take it one step further and we're going to see who's using our site for this and get them out of here. Now, there are a lot of workarounds to this. I'm not going to get into them. There's a lot of workarounds to this to where you can play on these Bitcoin gambling sites and have a Coinbase account and uh, kind of through process of a middleman. I won't get into the ways you can do it, but uh, there's a lot of workarounds to this to where you can still have a Coinbase account, still play on these sites, and uh, uh, just not send the Bitcoins directly. But um, this is definitely going to hurt those sites, especially for casual players who just want to use Coinbase to get Bitcoin in and out from there. And uh, I'm wondering if perhaps Coinbase was contacted by the government. Someone even posted on our site. It's not unrealistic to think Coinbase took this position only after being pressured by a government agency who advised Coinbase of its obligation to be mindful of who it's doing business with i.e. Bitcoin gambling sites may be on the DOJ's radar. And they might be. This is not going to last forever. This is not going to last forever, the Bitcoin gambling. Eventually, there's going to be a crackdown on this. When or how or who, I don't know. But this, this isn't just going to go on unchecked forever. I can tell you that the U.S. government eventually catches up with these things. So I'm wondering what's happening there. I'm wondering if this might be the government starting to pressure Coinbase. Maybe they're even saying, hey, the hammer is going to fall on these sites pretty soon, and if you are going to be processing transactions for them, even unknowingly, uh, there may be a problem for you too. And Coinbase is basically being given a chance by the government to distance themselves. I'm sure the government doesn't think that Coinbase is knowingly processing these transactions, but I think that uh, the government might be saying, hey, you may not knowingly be doing it, but you are doing it. 
So stop it. Find out who's doing it and stop them to the best of your ability. It's also possible this is just Coinbase being paranoid. And some of the things they said in that email weren't completely true about the legality of online gaming in the U.S., but that's not important. The important thing is that uh, this is an action being taken by a very large site against Bitcoin gambling. Bobby Orr saying in chat takes away from what Bitcoin is really supposed to be, in my opinion. Seems the reason for Bitcoin in the first place has changed over the years and it's hardly an alternative currency. I mean, that's a good point. It's a good point. A lot of times the alternative, whatever it is, stops being the alternative when it becomes popular. Remember alternative music when that was uh, actually an alternative? Then alternative music became mainstream. Like uh, K-Rock, K-R-O-Q in Los Angeles is one of the biggest commercial stations out there. And they play, quote, alternative music. And in the early days of K-Rock, they really did. And they really were a smaller upstart station. But now they're playing mainstream alternative music. So I guess in the same way, Bitcoin is a mainstream alternative currency, which is why I think the government is not going to just sit there and allow gambling to occur on these sites. Even though they're not big sites, they're still gambling sites. And I, I have to think... Let's say I just started my own gambling site. Let's just say I said, uh, this is Dandruff's gambling site. You can, you can uh, even just Dandruff's poker site. And, and I just start running poker for real money out of my home. Online. It wouldn't be a huge site. It wouldn't be competing with, with uh, the big ones out there. But I, I bet someone or something would clamp down on me for it. I couldn't just get away with it. Eventually, the government would, would come after me for it. And that's why no one's doing it. So I have to think the same is going to happen to the Bitcoin sites. It's just a matter of when. So the question is, what does Coinbase know? Are they just being overly cautious on their own, or is the government saying, hey, we don't like this? I guess we will see. I guess we would see. Let's talk about... Jungle Man, Daniel Cates. A lot of mixed opinions about this guy. Some people like him. You know, a lot of people respect his poker play and say he's a good player, but a lot of people don't like his personality. Some people dismiss it that he's just kind of an odd guy, just kind of uh, an emotional guy who isn't really very in tune socially but isn't a bad person. And other people think he's really shady and selfish and, uh, in fact, a bad person and someone who you need to watch out for. There's a number of different opinions of Jungle Man, a.k.a. Daniel Cates. Now, he was caught up in the whole Gira scandal with Hasib Qureshi, Dog is Head, and did admit to playing on the Jira account at one point, but he denied that he was involved in the whole deception with Jira. And I, from, you know, from following everything, I believe that he was. I do believe that he was. But 
we're not going to talk about here. That's you know, that's a three and a half year old story. But what's a newer story is something that just occurred on Poker Stars, and something that was said by Noah Boken that caught a lot of people's attention. Now they were playing, I don't know, some kind of high stakes game on Poker Stars. And this exchange occurred. Noah Boken said, Yeah, just don't send a hitman to me for Christmas. Don't send me a hitman for Christmas, were his exact words. And Jungle Man said back, You're making it tempting. Now, at this point, everyone who's watching this is just thinking they're kind of joking around. But then it got serious. Then Noah said, Guy wasn't even alone. His whole family there. You're sick. So, when Noah said, just don't send me a hitman for Christmas, and and, uh, Jungle Man says back, you're making a tempting, at the time, I think Jungle Man really thought that he was just joking around and joked back, you're making a tempting. But then when Noah clarified what he was talking about, guy wasn't even alone, his whole family there, you're sick. Then a light bulb went off in Jungle Man's head and he knew exactly what he's talking about. So he said, oh, that? I don't know anything about that guy. But wait a minute. You know about it. You know about it happening. How can you say you don't know anything about it if immediately you know what he's referring to, right? I mean... Uh, You can't say, I don't know anything about that, but uh, I know exactly what you're talking about there. (laughs) I mean, that's that's a ridiculous response. But presumably he's trying to say, I had nothing to do with it. And then Noah says sarcastically, yeah, you know nothing. And then Jungle Man says back, fuck you. You think I'm shady and dangerous and you cheat me. Smart, And then they go back and forth about you know, who cheated who, but that's not important. But what's very clear from this exchange is that someone that Noah knows was approached in front of his family by someone who was attempting to scare him, presumably about some sort of money matter, and that it was thought that it came from... Daniel Cates, a.k.a. Jungle Man. Now, Noah Boken did not go further with this. So we don't know exactly what he's talking about, but uh, why would he think it was Jungle Man behind it if the person who came and confronted this person that Noah knows didn't mention the debt of what, what might have been owed to Jungle Man? Now, what I'm thinking might have happened was that some tough guy, some scary-looking guy or guys approached someone that Noah knows and is friends with and that owes Jungle Man money and that the tough guy said, hey, you better pay your debt soon or something bad's going to happen to you and then walked off, something like that. So without directly mentioning Jungle Man, just says, Hey, you better watch out. You better pay your debts. This is your only warning. And this way, Jungle Man or whoever sent him can deny doing it. They're saying, hey, they didn't mention my name. They just said, hey, pay your debts. He could owe money to a lot of people. 
And it is possible whoever this is owes money to a lot of people and that this tough guy was sent over to intimidate the one who owes money on behalf of someone else and not on behalf of Daniel Cates, who perhaps is owed money as well. So maybe Jungle Man really is innocent here and is being falsely accused. But uh, Noah Boken here, he really seems to believe this is Jungle Man, and whoever he knows seems to believe that this was about the Jungle Man debt. And he would think if this guy owed money to a lot of different people, why would he immediately finger Jungle Man as the one behind it? Unless maybe Jungle Man had threatened him in the past. Now keep in mind, Jungle Man does sometimes spout off on people and threaten them. He even once threatened to punch me in the face when we were arguing on 2 plus 2. I never thought he was serious about that. I didn't think he was actually going to punch me in the face if he ever saw me. But he did threaten to punch me in the face because I was questioning him about the whole thing with uh, Dog His Head and Jira. So I guess it's possible that someone owes Jungle Man some money. The Jungle Man said something like, you know, you better watch out or something's going to happen. Then someone did approach this person and threaten him in a nonspecific fashion. And then the one who was threatened assumed it had to be Jungle Man because he had been told before that uh, something bad's going to happen if he doesn't pay. And then in reality, maybe he owes a few people money and it was one of the other people doing it. And it just looked like it came from Jungle Man. I mean, that's possible, but it's kind of a stretch. What we can tell here is that Jungle Man for sure knows that this happened. He knows what Noah is talking about about some guy being approached while with his family and threatened in some way over money he owes. That Jungle Man is aware this occurred, but swears that he didn't do it. He didn't send whoever over to intimidate this guy or rough up some guy. Like I, I don't. It wasn't specific, but I, I have a feeling it was just intimidation, not actually anyone being badly hurt. But I have to wonder, how could this be true and be known by Jungle Man over at Jungle Man Debt if it's actually not him who's guilty with doing this? Unless it's someone who owes several people and someone else did it who's been much less vocal about the debt. But, I mean, whoever is accusing him of this to Noah seems pretty sure it's Jungle Man. Now, at the same time, while I believe probably that Jungle Man probably did send someone to harass someone else about a debt, I have to say, if someone owes you a lot of money and is dodging you and being a jerk about paying you back, um, I don't feel very sorry for the person who's approached in front of their family and scared a little bit. Sometimes you have to do what you got to do to get the money back within reason. I'm not saying beat someone up or, or kill them. But I'm saying if someone's being a jerk to you and not paying you money they owe for a long time, especially a lot of money, and is just avoiding paying you when you know they can or they're making no effort, and you say, hey, I know some big guys, I know some scary-looking guys, I'll, I'll send them over there and put a scare into him. Maybe he'll do the right thing. I, I don't think that's the worst thing to do. It, it's not like this is extortion or something. I mean, if, the, if he really owes the money and he is not paying it and Jungle Man thought this might be a way to scare him into paying. I mean, it's it's uh, someone who does things like that. You, you kind of want to steer away from them as far as anyone you deal with. But at the same time, I, I, I don't think it's the worst thing in the world. 
provided that the money is legitimately owed, provided that the person is really making no effort to pay and is dodging Jungle Man, um, you know, provided all these things are happening and provided that nothing was done other than some words were exchanged, but that uh, nobody was hurt. I can understand because it's very frustrating when somebody owes you money and you know they can pay or you know that they can at least make an effort to pay and they don't. They're just saying, F you, I'm going to avoid you. It's a pretty callous and insensitive thing to do. And if you do end up being approached by some tough guys who want to uh, put a scare into you because you're acting that way, because you're scamming people or trying to run off on debts, then that's your own fault. It's not the fault of the person uh, sending them over there. Bobby, you're saying in chat that Jungle Man wants to fight Jason Mercier. Uh, by the way, uh, he's also asking Bobby Orr, it's not extortion? No, it's not. Extortion is actually very different. Extortion is attempting to get someone to pay money that they don't legally owe you or that you don't have a good reason to believe they legally owe you. So um, let, let, me, uh, let me give you two different examples here. Let's say I get word that somebody has been taking the Poker Fraud Alert podcasts and selling them. And I find out that they have made $10,000 selling my various radio shows without my permission or knowledge. And I find out that this is true. And I call them up and say, why are you doing that? And they say, hey, what? Guess what? F you. I'm not giving you a penny. I sold them. What are you going to do about it? And then I send some, uh, some guy down there to intimidate the person, not put hands on him, not hit him or anything, but uh, to intimidate them saying, hey, you better, you better pay Todd the $10,000 that you made from stealing his podcast and selling it. This would not be extortion because if I were ever called into court about this or criminally charged over this, I could prove that I had at least what looked like a legitimate case that the guy owed me money. So that's not extortion. However, if I notice that my next-door neighbor has a lot of money and I send those same guys over to his door and say, hey, you know, Todd could really use some of that money. So you better drop an envelope with $10,000 on Todd's doorstep tomorrow or I'm going to break your legs. That's extortion because that's just me sending someone to have them give me money because I want it, but not because it's owed to me in any way, not that I could have any kind of legitimate claim it's owed to me just because I want it and I have some tough guys at my disposal that I can scare them into making them give it to me. So that's the difference, and there's a very, very big difference there. And you can say that... um, the threatening itself is a crime, and you, you know, in some jurisdictions it is, but it's not extortion. And extortion is a lot more serious, and it carries much stiffer penalties, because as you can imagine, putting pressure on someone who really owes you money is not nearly as bad as just deciding you're going to scare someone into paying you money that they don't owe, just because... You know, you, because you know people who can scare them or you can scare them yourself. Those are two very, very, very different things. 
So one is extortion, and the other one is, uh, you know, at worst making threats, but not extortion. So, and of course, morally they're different too. If someone really does owe you money, and forget whether it's legally enforceable money, if someone has borrowed money from you, and they really have borrowed it, and then they're not paying you back just because they don't feel like it or they don't want to make the effort, and and you threaten them to make them do it, that's not anywhere in the same league as just picking out someone randomly that you think has money and that you think you can scare into giving you money and trying to scare them into doing so with threats. That's a huge difference, and the law interprets it differently as well. Um, loan shark, what if it's a loan shark someone's asking in chat? Uh, loan sharking is illegal. And, um, but, but a loan shark who really gives you a loan who then tries to intimidate you to get the money back, that's still not extortion. Uh, now, it, of course, there's usury with ridiculously high interest rates and all that. Like there, there's a lot of crimes involved in loan sharking and in, in pressuring people to pay back loans through loan sharking, especially with, at very high interest rates through force or threats of force. There's a lot of laws against that, but it's not the same as extortion. So this this is definitely not extortion because it does seem to be from everything we're reading, that someone does owe money to Jungle Man. Someone was intimidated by someone else, not Jungle Man himself, in front of his family about the money he owes. And that uh, Noah thinks that's sick. But it does seem like money really is owed to him. It's just the question is, like, what tactics is he using to get it back? And we don't know any more circumstances. Like, like maybe the guy hasn't owed the money for that long. Uh, maybe he is trying to work out a payment plan. Maybe he's doing his best to pay back, and Jungle Man is just being a jerk and sending guys to scare him. Like there, there's a lot of ways Jungle Man could totally be in the wrong here. But uh, um, anyway, um, they they really are uh, different things here. And even if you hate Jungle Man, you can't say he's engaging in extortion here. And as far as a hitman, um, I think that was a term that Noah was using to be dramatic. Maybe because English isn't his first language, but probably just because he's being dramatic. A hitman's actually someone who kills you. A hitman's not someone who tries to get you to pay up a debt. So, hitman just kind of sounds more dramatic. That's why he used that term. We'll see. We'll see if some more information comes out about that. I will say that in general, uh, it seems like Jungle Man is always involved in controversy. People are afraid of him. People think he's shady. People think that he's unstable. This is not the type of guy that I would want to be involved with. And in fact, on 2 Plus 2, when we were arguing back and forth, I just said, hey, look, it seems like every controversy that's breaking out here, you're part of it in some way. Your name keeps coming up over and over being involved with or knowing people or being involved in a situation that shady things are happening. So even if you're not directly at fault or directly involved, you always seem to have a piece of it. Why are you always involved? Why is, why is your name always coming up? There's a reason for that. Like once you can say wrong place, wrong time, or this isn't what it looks like, but over and over and over you can't keep saying this isn't what it looks like. 
And that's basically what Jungle Man does. Like, it, like every time he's accused of something, it's always like, well, yeah, but this isn't what it looks like. Yeah, this isn't what it looks like. No, it's, it's not exactly like that. People are just uh, saying things that aren't true. But over and over and over and over, we're hearing things like that about him. Some of them have got to be true. And they're all from different sources. It's not like the same guy is making up uh, accusations against him over and over. All right, so let's talk about the uh, Giants-Cubs game. You might say, why would I want to talk about that on this show? This is not a sports show. Why would I want to talk about that aside from being a Dodgers fan and caring about what the Giants do because they're the Dodgers' only challenge this year as far as winning the National League West? Well, this is so weird. Um, two days ago, the Dodgers, not the Dodgers, the, the Giants and the Cubs were playing in Chicago. The weather was bad, and uh, very quickly a heavy rainstorm came and was getting the field very wet. The Cubs were up two to nothing at that time, and it was the fifth inning. Now, Major League Baseball rules state that a game will be rained out if five innings are not completed by the time the rain comes down and and it rains long enough to where they can't complete the game. If the game has to be stopped and can't continue the same day and fewer than five innings are completed, then the the game's just rained out and it's done. Uh, If it's more than five innings then basically they go back to the score of the last full inning that was played, and that's the end of the game. So they could be final and six, final and seven, whatever, final and five. As long as five innings have finished, more than half the game, uh, then whatever the last full inning was played, the score at the end of that, uh, the team ahead wins. If they're tied, then they have to continue it the next day. Uh, If the team leading is the home team, and they've only played four and a half innings, then it can still be a full game because you can just assume that the home team would would have scored zero in the bottom of the fifth, and of course they'd still be leading, so it's the same as five innings. So so basically it's kind of like the poker equivalent of checking behind when you're disconnected. Like if you're disconnected on the river playing online poker and you're the last to act... uh, the right thing to do is auto-check you behind and then show down. Because you could have done that anyway. So, that's what happened with the Cubs and the Giants on Tuesday, where the Giants had come up five different innings, did not score. The Cubs had two runs. It was two to nothing. They were coming to bat in the bottom of the fifth. The rain came down very hard and unexpectedly. And then something odd occurred where the Cubs staff did not get the tarp on the field fast enough. They were too slow unrolling the tarp. They claimed there was a problem with it. And because they were so slow tarping the field, the field got soaked by this downpour. And even though the rain stopped, the field was in such bad shape from not being tarped in time that it was unplayable that day. So it was ruled that, well, okay, this is considered a rain out. Even though it's not raining anymore, the field 
was ruined by rain and could not be, you know, they couldn't continue playing. And that is also considered a rain out by baseball standards. So we have to call the game after five innings and the Cubs win. Well, the Giants protested. The Giants said that the Cubs did this on purpose, that the Cubs took their time on purpose to get that tarp on the field, knowing that if the field gets overly soaked, then they can't continue and then they automatically win. And they said, even if this was not on purpose, the Cubs are expected to get that tarp out quickly. And if they don't do it, whether on purpose or by accident, it's their fault, and therefore they should not be rewarded by their tarp malfunction. Well, believe it or not, that protest worked. And the Giants were allowed to finish the game today, Thursday, two days later. It's the first time in 28 years that a protest like this has uh, has happened and, and been successful. Well, it turned out it didn't matter because they played and the Cubs still won 2-1. to one. But how does this have to do with anyone here? Brandon Drexel Gerson, former co-host here and still once in a while co-host of this show, happened to have had a bet on this game. And Brandon was staying at Caesars. He lives in Las Vegas, but he was staying at Caesars just because it was uh, his friend's birthday. And they're hanging out there. And um, someone that Brandon knew wanted a $1,500 bet on the Giants. So Brandon said, okay, sure. Took the money from the guy. This is someone who wasn't local. But got the money from the guy in some way and then placed the bet for him for $1,500. But then Brandon said, hey, you know, if I'm going to bet this game anyway, uh... Why don't I bet it too? So Brandon put a bet down too for $5,000. Pretty hefty bet. So he bet on on uh, the Giants. And unfortunately for Brandon, That game was called, as I said, after five innings, and he lost. But wait a minute. Did he really lose? He saw that the game was protested, and the Giants won the protest. So that they're going to continue today, on Thursday. So he's like, hey, this is like a free roll. He says it's like a 10K free roll, because... uh, if they do come back and win, he wins 5000 instead of losing 5000 It's a 10 k swing. But he says, I wonder how Caesars is going to handle this. So he went to the sports book and asked Caesars, hey, you know, if, if the Giants play on Thursday now and finish this game off and win, do I win the bet? And the sports book supervisor told him that he loses no matter what even if the Giants come back and win today. 
And so Brandon says, wait a minute, you're telling me that if the Giants come back, I still lose the game? I'm betting on this game to win for the Giants, and if the Giants do win, I, I lose the bet? How is that possible? So he says, it's in our house rules. So Brandon went and took a look at the house rules, and the house rules say this. In all nine-inning scheduled games, winners and losers are official after nine innings of play unless the home team is leading after eight and a half innings. Called games, which is like this, is known as a called game, must go a minimum of five innings or four and one and a half if the home team is ahead. If a game goes past five innings and is subsequently called, the winner is determined by the score after the last full inning of play except in the case where the home team scores to tie or take the lead in the bottom half of the inning in which the game is called, the runs do count. This is all standard stuff for baseball right there. So it doesn't say anything here about if the game continues on another day due to a protest, what happens. It's saying if the game is called, but what if it's called and uncalled? It does not say here. It does not say that if the game is protested in any way, and then it continues after being called, or if the position to call it is reversed, which is basically what happened here, is there still action? Now, I understand Caesar's point on this, is that the people who bet the Cubs went and collected their winnings when the game was called. And how are they to know, Caesars, that this would be reversed, and they can't go back and take the money back from the people who bet on the Cubs. So I understand Caesar's point of view here, but at the same time, they need to have this in their rules. Their rules need to say, a called game is final. Or any game is final. Anytime a game is completed, it has you know 15 minutes or whatever for something to be changed, and after that, it's final, and even if the result changes after that as a result of a protest, as far as our bet is concerned, it's whatever the score was 15 minutes after the game's official completion. But that's nowhere in the rules that Brandon saw, and he posted a copy of the rules. So he could not find anything about this. Now, it turned out it didn't matter because the Cubs went on to win anyway, so it's a moot point at this point. But uh, Brandon was considering going to Nevada Gaming and complaining about this and seeing if perhaps uh, he could have that reversed, but now there's nothing to do because the game lost anyway. But of all things, the only game, the only baseball game Brandon bets the whole year, it happens to be that one. Then he has to deal with that crap. Though you know that if he was on the Cubs side, he would have like quickly been down there and cashing it. <laughs> I don't think he would have given the money back to Caesars, nor would they have asked for it. But still, I can I can see his frustration. Imagine you bet on a game and your team wins, and you don't get paid. You you're still considered to have taken the loss there. That's crazy. So I, I understand why he was really frustrated by that. I wonder if Brandon is actually happy they lost today to just make his life simpler. Like, he won't be frustrated anymore. They'll say, okay, well, the game lost, so I rightfully lost here. I I bet Brandon is happier to have rightfully lost than to have had Caesars not pay him here. Bobby, you were asking me, is there a precedence for what happened in the Giants-Cubs game? No, I I don't know of any precedence of this. I've never heard of this before. 
I've heard of uh, protests changing something after the fact, but uh, that's been 28 years for that. But I, I've never heard before where they call a game and then it gets uncalled because the home team didn't do something proper as far as securing the field. That was really weird. So, yeah, like there was the George Brett Pine Tar game, I think, back in 1983, but that was a different story. That was about the Pine Tar on George Brett's bat, not about uh, whether a game could continue. So maybe they just didn't give Brandon the right copy of the rules that shows that it's all final after some period of time after the game. But I, I'd have been pissed if I were him, too. If they don't have it in their rules And you know, the truth is if they don't have it in their rules They really should have to cover both sides And then put it in their rules for next time Otherwise they, they can't just invent rules on the fly And screw the players Even if half the Even if it's the sports book isn't making any money On the whole thing overall uh, they, they can't just decide which side they're awarding the win to There have to be rules in place for it there have to be very specific rules in place. I think he would have actually had a good complaint to gaming if there was not a specific rule in place about something like this. But there might have been. Maybe they just they didn't show it to him. But we will never know. So, going to our next topic. I've lost the agenda. I always lose the agenda at least once per show. Always lose the agenda. Here we are. Oh, this is a funny story. The Revell in Atlantic City is closing around Labor Day, probably. They they were a $2.5 billion resort. It was supposed to be just the... A beautiful resort that would revitalize Atlantic City. And they just did everything wrong. They did everything wrong at this place. It was it was a complete failure in design and operation. They just it was something where they spent a lot of money and made it look really nice, but uh didn't operate it correctly and didn't design it correctly. Just everything was wrong. I, I don't know why they don't hire Knowledgeable industry consultants to look at these things because it's funny. Like a, a regular gambler, like you or I, could walk through there and immediately tell all the fail in our first visit. Yet somehow the the expensive consultants hired for this stuff uh, don't get it right. It, it's funny how that happens sometimes. But anyway, the Revell is probably closing Labor Day. The, the state's not even letting them close yet, and they're claiming that they are losing a million dollars a day. They're claiming that every day they remain open there. At the reveal, it cost them one million dollars. But that's not what this story is about. This is about a smaller amount of money, but just it shows you the type of luck that the reveal's been having. Uh, earlier this month in August, they lost more than twenty thousand dollars when money that was picked up from the casino by an armored car and left on the roof fell off during the vehicle driving. <laughs> so the armored car company uh, apparently uh, left these bags on the roof, or one of the bags on the roof the, of cash, and then just drove off. <laughs> the bag just came rolling off. And by the time they realized it, uh, nearly $21,000 was missing in cash. 
This happened on August 6th. Uh, the Garda World Armored Car Service made this mistake. The G-A-R-D-A World. And I, I guess lesson number one is you don't hire a company that can't even spell their name properly. You know, <laughs> Garda World, G-A-R-D-A World. That's just so stupid. I, I, I wouldn't hire that company based on name alone. But uh, they're the ones, they're the geniuses who left a bag on top of the of the truck and drove off and it fell off. It says, a review of surveillance video shows the truck leaving the Revelle's uh, port cocher with a bag on the rear driver's side roof of the truck at 10.51 a.m. on August 6th, about 20 minutes after the first bag was picked up, according to the report. The money is still there when this, the truck makes a pickup at Resorts Atlantic City, about six minutes away. Uh, the truck then leaves Pennsylvania Avenue, this is the same Pennsylvania Avenue, by the way, as uh, down Pennsylvania Avenue. It's the same one that's in the Monopoly game. The Monopoly game is actually based upon Atlantic City. A lot of people probably don't realize that. But all the streets in Monopoly are in Atlantic City. So the truck then leaves down Pennsylvania Avenue toward Route 40, and the bag is still on the truck's roof, and then at some point after that fell off. So it actually survived on the truck's roof. It must have been a pretty heavy bag. I mean, 21K isn't that much. It's not that heavy. It's not that much as far as weight, but somehow it stayed on the roof. <laughs> uh, maybe it wasn't all hundreds. Maybe that's why it was heavy enough, but it fell off after they had gone to Resorts Atlantic City, about six minutes away, and then sometime down Pennsylvania Avenue, they still had it on there, and then it fell off. So Garda... World says that they have an open investigation on the case and they cannot provide any additional details at the moment. I mean, <laughs> what details are there to provide? The, the money fell off. The, an idiot was driving the truck and didn't put it in the truck. Yeah, I don't know why you put money on the roof in the first place, I guess when you're loading other money, but he left money on the roof. It blew off, and I'm sure the person who found it is not exactly going to be returning it anytime soon. Can you imagine a truck is going by and a bag falls off and you see it and you walk up and you go, hmm, I wonder what's in that bag. And, and then you find $21,000 cash. And this is in a depressed area like Atlantic City. Like probably a poor person got this and couldn't believe it. This must have been like the, the best day of their lives to find 21000 cash rolling off the roof of a truck. I guess Garter World is trying to make sure that this wasn't done on purpose, but, uh, you know, like like the, the person put it on the roof, pretended to forget it there, and then drove really carefully and then sped up so it would roll off when they passed their accomplice. I, I guess that'd be a pretty ingenious way to steal from the casino and just claim it was an accident. I imagine the guy who was driving or who is responsible for this is going to get fired, but, like, are they going to try to collect from him or just assume it was an accident at the job. I, I don't think there's much they can do unless they can prove criminal intent. So I wonder who has that 21000 but I, I guess it's a drop in the bucket compared to what they claim they're losing every day. So really, that's, that's not that big of a deal when you're losing a million dollars a day for 21000 to disappear. Uh, maybe it's better that it ended up in the hands of someone who really needed it rather than uh, uh, staying in the casino's coffers just to lose it through operations. But whatever, it's gone, and I don't see it coming back. And it's not even illegal to keep money you find like that. 
Well, Alan Kessler's unhappy. I know you're probably all shocked that Alan Kessler would be complaining about something or that Alan Kessler would have an objection to a particular set of rules or structure at a tournament. But it has happened. Alan Kessler is very unhappy about the quantum rebuy format at the World Poker Tour at the Bike in Los Angeles at the Legends of Poker Tournament. The Legends of Poker has been around for a while. Uh, The main event is a $3,500 buy-in. You get 30,000 in tournament chips. But the thing that pisses off Kessler is that there's been a revelation. This hasn't been totally fleshed out yet the way they're going to do it, but that people will be able to buy directly into day two of this event for $10,000 instead of 3500 and they will get something around average chips for doing so. So they get to just skip day one and come into day two with average chips, provided they pay almost triple the buy-in. So Alan Kessler's very unhappy about this. Alan is saying that it allows deep-pocketed or better poker players the opportunity to skip the early stages and join later in the tournament with a good chip stack, and, and basically violating the whole concept of tournament poker that states that uh, you know everyone starts on equal footing and has to work their way up. Uh, here, you don't start on equal footing. The richer or deeper bankrolled people can actually buy in to a later stage of the tournament and uh, and start at that point. And you can do this as a rebuy. So you're allowed to play day one, bust day one, and then buy directly into day two with something like an average stack. Now, they haven't decided exactly what they're going to give people for their 10K. They may give them average stack. They may give them 60 big blinds. They may give them... 100k in chips, which is, you know, almost, it's like three and a third times what uh, you get for your 3,500. That hasn't been worked out yet, but it's going to be something like one of those things where basically you're coming into day two with average chips without having to play a hand. I agree that this is bad for the game. Now, I know some tournaments have had add-ons for a long time, but add-ons are different because they end a lot earlier in the tournament. You can't add on that late. You can't add on in day two. And also, there's no way you can go with an add-on from, like, no chips up to average stack. If you're very, very short stacking, you do an add-on, at best you're going to get, like, to starting chips again. You're not going to be average stack day two. So the fact that you can buy into average stack day two is very different than anything that has ever existed. Uh, Kessler also does not like the fact or he doesn't like in general anything that allows pros to keep giving themselves another shot Uh, for example he hates unlimited rebuy tournaments saying that again it favors the deep pocketed players and the pros Uh, for example he says like if Daniel Negreanu is willing to buy in five times then you're facing five Daniel Negreanu's in the tournament rather than just one uh, that he doesn't mind that much where people can enter a day 1A and day 1B if they bust 1A because that's only twice, but that you know once it gets more than that, it, it's really getting uh, out of hand and that this is the worst of anything they've done. Uh, 
he, he wrote specifically, it doesn't matter what you get for the 10K as this format creates a gap between the haves and have-nots. Players who struggle to make it through day one but ultimately advance will have to face a whole new wave of skilled players who are eager for the extra chance to buy an average day to advancing stack. That's true. Imagine you, 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 know, you get through day one, you don't have that big of a chip stack, you look around who's left, you're like, yeah, you know, uh, I don't have a good chip stack, but I see there really are not that many pros left in the field, so at least skill-wise I think I'm in good shape even if my chip stack isn't that good. And then the next day you see all these great players sitting down with average stack, much bigger than yours, who have entered at that point and are just bypassing the whole day one you had to play. I mean, it's not the same thing. Poker, one thing about poker is is that uh, everybody plays on the same footing. It's true that someone can give themselves an advantage like buying in deeper stack to a no-limit cash game than someone who's buying in shorter stack, but shorter stacks have their own advantage. But here, you have people that can put themselves in an advantageous position versus others just simply because they have more money to put into it. That they, The first stage of earning chips there, that they can just bypass that and buy chips, I think it's awful. It will add more money to the prize pool. It will add the amount that gets raked for the casino, so I'm sure they're happy about it. But I think it's bad for poker, and it's going to piss people off. It's going to piss off amateurs to see this happening. It'll piss off amateurs who are proud of their day two average stack. Because having a day two average stack doesn't mean you're average. It means that you're average of the remaining players. So it means you perform pretty well to have average stack going to day two. So you're proud of that. And then you see that pros didn't have to do what you did. They didn't get to just pay extra and be where you are. It pissed you off if you're an amateur player. You don't want to see that. What attracts a lot of amateurs to the game is the fact that when they sit down at the table, that they start with the exact same chip stack as Daniel Negreanu and as Phil Hellmuth and all the guys they see on TV, that you start with the same stack as them, and if they lose their chips, they're gone, and they can't rebuy with their deep bankroll or deep pockets, and they especially can't start later in the tournament with the same chips that you had to earn. That's why a lot of people like tournaments, is that it puts everyone on equal footing at the beginning, and then you go from there. But this totally violates that. So I, I totally get what Alan Kessler is saying about this. And I'm hoping the World Series of Poker will not consider doing something like this because this is a moneymaker for them and it does pump out the pump up the prize pools. And I know World Series, that they're obsessed with bragging about how big the prize pools are. And they're also obsessed with making as much money as possible. So I'm hoping that they don't do this. I will say that they have eliminated those unlimited rebuys, believing that it allows people to buy a bracelet or give an advantage to those who have a deep bankroll to play. And uh, the fact that they eliminated those was a good thing. So hopefully they'll keep that line of thinking. The funny thing is I actually thought of something like this a while ago. I was actually just sitting there one day and I was thinking, what would be an interesting and different concept for a tournament that hasn't been done yet? And I thought of exactly this. I thought about what if someone could just buy in later in the tournament before the money 
based upon what the average stack is. So if the average stack is three times the starting stack, they have to pay three times the money to enter at that point. I said, what about a tournament like that? And then I thought, hey, what about the reverse? What about people who sell their chips? What about people that could cash out of a tournament in the middle? And say, hey, like let's say you buy in a $1,000 tournament and you get 5,000 starting chips. Well, that means each starting chip is worth 20 cents. And it it remains that way until the first person is paid when you hit the money. Because when you hit the money, what happens is someone is paid for having zero chips. And eventually, everybody is paid for having zero chips except for the guy in first. That's why the guy in first cannot get the entire prize pool because uh, uh, you've already paid a bunch of people who have zero chips left. But before you've paid anyone who has zero chips left, and we're ignoring the rake here for this discussion, but provided nobody's been paid yet who is busted, then every chip still has that same value. Now, I'm talking about actual value, not theoretical value. Uh, What I mean by theoretical value is like, let's say you have a starting stack one spot before the money bubble. Well, your starting stack at that point is worth a lot more than it was at the beginning of the tournament because all you have to do is wait for one guy to bust and you've already doubled your money. And if you get really lucky, you could even win the tournament. So so uh, in that case, you're – like if someone offered me to buy in with a starting stack one before the money bubble, I would always take it because uh, that would be worth doing. So theoretically, those chips are worth more than 20 cents each because at that point, a very short stack, each chip is worth more than a very big stack. But uh, putting that aside, putting this poker theory aside – um, before you pay anyone who is cashed and and busted, really you have a direct correlation between the amount paid per chip and, and the amount of chips in people's stacks. So what if at like a point like somewhere between like 25 and 75% of the field busted, you allow people to cash out their stacks if they don't want to play all the way through, if they don't want to try to shoot for the big money, if they just want to take a small profit. They want to take a profit that's uh, a few times what they bought in. Maybe even they give them some kind of small penalty for doing that, but still allowing them to do it. Like, I didn't think of all the details, but I thought, hey, that might be kind of cool to allow people to cash out, to drop out in the middle and take some kind of profit. Because how many times have you had a huge stack many times of what you bought in for and then you end up losing it and not even cashing? If you could have taken that for several times what you bought in, you might have done it. Now, there would have to be limits, of course. Like, let's say you end up with such a big stack that it's actually more than what the first place money would be if you cashed it out. Obviously, that wouldn't be right. So there would have to be uh, a lot of thought put into this and the exact way they would do it. But that was my idea. Having a tournament where you could both cash out at some point and buy in late for extra money at some point. But I never posted it anywhere and I never proposed it anywhere or to anyone or to any card room because I decided that this would not be good for the game. That this kind of violates the whole point of tournament poker and that this just favors the pros over the amateurs and will piss the amateurs off. I mean, the amateurs will be a little happier if they can cash out in the middle, some of them, 
but the other ones will be very unhappy when the weaker players cash out in the middle and they're left with all the, the shark pros around them. So I decided that this would be bad for the game and that it wasn't a good idea and I wasn't even going to suggest it anywhere. But it was funny how half of this is pretty much exactly what I was thinking, this, this quantum rebuy, but never told anyone. But I do think it's bad for the game. 775-FRAUD55, you want to call in, 775-372-8355. Someone's saying in the chat room that Full Tilt had these tournaments. So maybe they did. I didn't pay that much attention to tournaments like that. So maybe Full Tilt did it. Maybe they already had something like this. I don't know. Hadn't heard of it before, but two different people in the chat room say they remember it, so it probably happened. I think we're up to the final topic here. Let's see if we got any more text messages. So far, no. I used to get so many texts during the show. Then I changed the text phone number. Then I changed it back. And somehow from the first change, we just stopped getting as many texts. Right. So I believe we're down to the final topic, which is the editorial. And this actually surprises me, this topic, that I even have to discuss this because it seems pretty obvious to me. Now, most of you know me as the customer service complainer. Whenever I have a bad experience at any company, large or small, I will make sure to let them know about it and I will make sure to fight tooth and nail to get what I think is fair. I don't necessarily try to get things that I don't deserve, but I try to get what I think is fair. I never just say, oh, well, this isn't worth my time. Oh, well, I got overbilled $20, but I don't feel like fighting it. That's never me. That might be you, but that's never me. I never say, oh, well, they can keep extra money they weren't supposed to have. I never say, oh, well, this employee mistreated me and was rude to me and inconvenienced me on purpose. But, uh, you know, no big deal. He was probably just having a bad day. Like, that's never me. I'm always the one to follow these matters up. I'm always the one that if an employee uses his position to abuse me in some way to make sure his boss knows. I'm always the one to never pay a penny more than I actually should. If there's a billing mistake, you always have to fix it before I will pay the bill. Even a small mistake. So on the Poker Fraud Alert Forum, I've talked about many things and many times that I have dealt with customer service issues. But before I continue about this, let's take a phone call. Okay. Call you around the air. Hello. One step, hello. Now, I see in the forum that you... Uh-oh, I'm hearing an echo. Did you turn off the radio? Yeah. Okay, Why? okay. I am hearing that you are coming to both Las Vegas and Southern California... Very soon. Is 
that true? Yes, that is true. Is that why you're calling? Um, yeah. So, uh, um, if anyone's listening that can get me, like, comps or, like, buffet comps or some shit, that'd be nice. I see. Also, um, hands up, don't shoot. (laughs) What are you going to be doing in Las Vegas and uh, Southern California? Um, all right, so I'm going to be going to restaurants. Uh, I'm going to play in a couple tournaments. Really? And I'm going to go see uh, the Cirque du Soleil show. That's in Vegas. What about in, uh, in California? Oh, uh, I'm going to be looking for a lot of swings. That's, that's pretty much my uh, entire time there. No, I don't know yet, really. I don't have anything planned for all yet. Okay. Well, uh, do, do you know where in Southern California you're going? Uh, yes, it's going to be L.A., uh, like and then it's gonna be like Santa Barbara area, hmm. um, San Diego, shit like that. Well, you'll have to let me know when you're over here. I would like to finally meet you. That that that'd be interesting. Um, yeah. So can can I get your your? I don't. I didn't read the topic, so I'm just curious. I'd like to get your opinion on the Michael Brown, Ferguson whole. Well. Type of thing. I'll, I'll give you my opinion. It's uh, okay. I, I think I know your opinion on the whole thing, but uh... no, I mean I, I, all I know is, is the facts that have been reported. Okay. He robbed the store. Um, a cop chased him, thought thinking that that was a suspect, without really I don't know chasing him. I don't know, and he died. Yeah. Well, look, um, I don't know what to think about this one because I know that a lot of small city police forces are indeed out of control and do abuse people. And not just black people, like everybody. Like uh, they, A lot of times the police in small cities feel like they're invincible and go on big-time power trips and, and a lot of abuses are committed. However, do you think that's what happened here? Well, the, the, that's, here's the problem. The problem is at the same time, as we saw in the video in that convenience store, that the guy who ended up getting shot and killed is definitely no angel and, and definitely looks like he's a thug. I mean, he, you saw him uh, throwing around the owner of that store uh, because uh, he was leaving with cigars he was stealing and uh, the owner was trying to stop him. The owner was like the small Indian guy and this is like a big 300-pound guy. Uh, so he's just you know, Hurry throwing. up and buy. That's, you know, that's, that's the whole thing. That's why it's hurry up and buy. So, so I... I thought from seeing this whole thing, it's so hard to tell what happened because you have what could be a corrupt small city police force who is uh, overstepping its bounds, or you could have a thug that really was being aggressive. We saw him being aggressive just a few hours beforehand or maybe even worried about getting arrested over this who did try to fight and battle with a police officer. Maybe he did go for his gun. Maybe he did punch him. Maybe he was being very threatening yeah, so, in a so, way yeah, where, where shooting him was justified. Let's, yeah, let's, uh, let's you know, stick on that, that sort of thing. In the tape, did you see uh, where that entire, like, that entire thing? Because I've been too busy working, like, unlike the majority of the protesters, I have a day job, so I, I really couldn't watch the videos a lot of times. But did you see him 
go for the gun or like how, how did the whole? No, 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 no. There's no uh, video of that. There was, there's only a video. I, I didn't see any video. I don't think a video exists. I'm sure it doesn't exist of, of the actual shooting. There's videos after the shooting, which don't really show very much, in my opinion. And then there's the video in the convenience store, which happened hours beforehand. So, so basically, uh, okay. you, you, you have two conflicting stories. You, you don't have any video evidence of the stories of the exact shooting. But you do have evidence of the way he was behaving hours beforehand, and that's all you have. So some people are trying to extrapolate from what happened hours beforehand and saying this guy's a thug from the way he behaved in that convenience store, and it's not a stretch to think that he would have been attacking the cop too. Uh, there's others saying, hey, uh, we saw the whole thing. Uh, he didn't attack the cop. He had his hands up and said don't shoot and got shot anyway. So if, if the latter is what actually happened, then that's pretty bad. But But if he was attacking the cop in any way and got shot, then obviously I have no sympathy for him. Yeah. So okay. that, that's how I feel about it. But I don't know. I don't, I don't know which one was happening. I could believe either one. If, if it came out uh, somehow really? proof... So do, you think, do you think there's one, one scenario more likely over than another? It's so hard to tell on this one. It is really so hard to tell. I, I keep going back and forth of what I like, believe deep down happened. It's so hard to tell because of the... Uh, um, the total, the, the total different accounts from the witnesses, the uh, uh, the fact that I could believe either party having done this, what they're accused. So I don't know. It's, it's, a, it's a fair enough. I mean, if that's if that's your honest opinion, that's my honest opinion. Then, yeah. uh, then okay, none, none of none of you know. Um, but yeah. Uh, so if anyone is in is in oh, so I also need a recommendation on the dispensary. In SoCal, uh, someplace, you know, I needed a recommendation on that, and a recommendation on a doctor that might, uh, you know. Uh, yeah, well, you know, I, I can't help you with that stuff. I, I don't ever do yeah, that I sort know. of thing. So. I know, because you, you know, you have problems with that kind of stuff, I guess. No, I, it's not that I have problems. I, I have no desire to, to do that. I've just, I've never had a desire ever, to smoke ever, pot. Have you ever smoked a bone? No. I never have. Okay. I've never That's wanted to. I've been in the same room as it many times. And and chose not to do it. I had no desire to. I just didn't want to. So why should, why should I want? Why should I do it if I don't want to? Fair enough. Yeah. Again, a uh, very valid point. So um, so one step. Right. Uh, yeah, so I, if, are you? Do you live in SoCal or what's the deal? Uh, when you're here, I will be in a secret location in SoCal, and I will. I would like to meet up. <laughs> I would like to meet up with you. I can't give you any comps or money or anything, but I. I so are you paying for dinner though? Right. Ah, oh, jeez. It's always got to be an angle with you. <laughs> no, I, I, I don't even, I don't, I'm not even hitting commission yet, so it's, you know. Now, are these, is this trip, does this have anything to do with Twinks or not? Yes. It does. This, this is a, a, a focal point of this trip. I, I don't uh, know if I should however, believe that. However, however we, I am going with, with a few girls, so, huh. you know. Who are these girls? Uh, how, how do you know these girls? Friends, 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 and friends. You know. Well, uh, yeah. it will be interesting. I, I would like to meet you now. If, if we meet and take a picture, are you okay with having that posted on the forum? Uh, again, I'll go back to my first question. You paying for dinner? Ah, jeez. I have to like. <laughs> I, I can see one step like actually shaking me down for money. Like you can post this picture if you if you buy me dessert. <laughs> like I can picture um, that happening. Yeah. Yeah, no, yeah, you can definitely do it. 
Okay. Well, one step, uh, I really thought that if I ever met you, it would have to be me in New York. I, I didn't expect that you would be coming to Southern California. The only times I'd heard of you coming to Vegas or planning to come was when you were trying to hit up people for comps, and I, I guess you're still doing that. But Well, yeah, that's that's that's. I'm always on my hustle, you know? Yeah. Um, but if anyone could let me know if Tom Duan will be in the Vegas area during this time, uh, and also, and also, uh, if I see a certain individual, I will kick them straight in the nuts. Uh oh. So, so you know, that's. Uh, are you gonna say who that is? Who are you gonna kick in the nuts? I hope it's not me. No, 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 no. It's, it's, not, it's someone you know, but uh, hmm. I'll leave it at that. All righty. All right. So this will be on the. You put on the forum the twenty second. That's tomorrow. Are you really going tomorrow? Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. You so know what's you can, so funny? So I would, wants the PM. Anyone that wants to give me location, like you know. I was almost going to go to Vegas. I was almost going to go to Vegas tomorrow. I, I was really, really close to doing it, and and believe it or not, the factor that stopped me from going to Vegas was uh, Caesar's frustrated me too much. Caesar's actually pissed me you off. Know what to you I said, forget do. the whole thing. You should. You should. You should come and take Molly with me and my boys and and listen to Tiesto. That's that's going to be a fucking Friday evening right there. Well, I I don't. I don't know any girl named Molly, so I can't help you there. Yeah. <laughs> all right. All right, Jeff. Later. All right. <laughs> One step. Uh, why didn't you announce his trip to the West? A legendary figure over the many radio shows that I've been part of over the years here. And uh, maybe I will finally meet him. Maybe I'll even meet his twink du jour. Let's take another phone call. Call you on the air. Yo, girls. Yes. Wolf, what is, what's up? What's going on? <laughs> Man, I just want to call and check in because I haven't been feeling good. And I, I really, uh, I can't get the show much anymore. I got this shitty ass cable here and, and like, I can't ever hear anything. So I can see when the red light's on, but I never hear a show. Well, that's kind of weird. I, like, I mean, it shouldn't have to do with Man, your cable. I I think it no, has to do with dude, your I'm browser talking, or something. I'm, well, I'm in the shithole. But either way, I hadn't listened to a full show in like two years. Hmm. But uh, I just wanted to call because um, I made a pretty good run, and I made a big donation to charity today. Huh. Uh, and okay. I, feel, I feel great. Okay, so, so hold on, hold on. Okay, hold on. So, what but, was the run-in? Uh, was the run-in in poker? Um, I have played poker. I will say this. You'll find this interesting. I swear to God, you'll find this so interesting, Druff, because I met you in the parking lot in your in your khaki shorts, and you will know I'm telling the truth. Yeah. So, you will find this so crazy. Um, I did play poker here in Birmingham, Alabama. This has been five weeks ago. I was invited to a game. I can't use names. But it, it was in a place called Lakeview, mm -hmm. which if you look up online, all your freaks will find this fast. So I was invited to a 2-5 game with a bunch of real biggies, and I mean the real players. So I had to buy in for 3000 because everybody had a lot of chips. So literally, I swear to God, Druff, this happened to me, and I can prove it if you don't believe it. Just remember I told you I can prove this. I sat down. The first hand that I bought in, a man that was sitting in the game as a Bell's Bondsman, he goes all in pre-flop with ace, queen of diamonds, and I have two black aces and calling for a 1,000. 
So I win the very first hand, the second hand I fold, and the third hand I wake up, I've got two aces again, and the dude is all in, and he's got 850. So, like, within three hands, I run 3,000 into, like, 5850, and I tip the dealer. So it's funny because it's not a big deal. It's no money. But I'm sitting there, and I know a lot of people at the game, they're, like, in the southeast, they're fairly known, and they've done shit, even in tournaments and whatever. So we're all sitting there. Everybody knows each other, and I have a weirder reputation. And within two and a half hours of sitting down, I'm asked to leave the game. So they cash my chips out, and I'm friends with one of the men that owns the club. There's three men that own it, but one of them I'm close to. And he walks me to my car, and he says, kid, you know, I really like you, but you're so weird, just you can't play here. Wow. Which has happened. It's happened to me before, Druff. You understand. Hmm. So so they, they kicked you out for being weird, not for not for beating them? Yeah, I don't think it was for beating them. I do think it was because of the religious conversation during the game and what I said because of that. Now, you, you didn't – well, I defended all races and Jews, so mm. I, I swear. I, anyway, I'm definitely weird. I'm not debating that. Well, I, I, I got to ask you the question on I everyone's mind right. here. The question on everyone's mind here is: uh, Were your pants clean at the time? <laughs> hey, no, and that's fine, man. You can make fun of me all you want, but you will like this story. Okay, no, no, go, go on, go on. Like, I, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter. I swear. Just remember. Birmingham within five weeks and Lakeview, because this is on Google, so it's not something I'm just calling in with. You you can find this. These were famous people at the game, like <laughs> Birmingham famous, uh, Southeast famous at least. They've done big shit in, like, touring circuit events. So, anyway, like, it doesn't matter. I get kicked out of the game, so... But I have been invited. To be invited, they know your first and last name and your phone number. That's yeah. the bare minimum. So, like, three weeks later, um, after I haven't gone back, the guy that I'm friends with gets shot at the same game. This has made the Birmingham news and has made national news. Now, what's funny because, Druff, I swear I'm not lying to you. I'm the same dude that was in the parking lot of the goddamn casino when everybody was crazy. So whatever. <laughs> you were in the khakis. You had the, you had the beard. Anyway, my buddy gets shot, right? Well, he gets driven to a, uh, a local hospital within, like, four blocks of the game. I know this because my family members own a building that's within two blocks of the game. I know a lot about this area. Anyway, he gets sent there, and the police show up at the game. So the man that was actually shot isn't there when the police get there. The people at the game say that three black guys in masks robbed them. And the problem with the story is that nobody can show, like, that anything was robbed. <laughs> the dude at the at the hospital is actually saying that this guy in the game got mad at him and decided to shoot him. But the dude in the game was such a big time, everybody in the whole game saved him. So this is what's funny about the world. I swear to you, and it absolutely means nothing to me who hears this. 
This is what's so funny. 25 Birmingham police officers showed up at this game within, I would call it 18 minutes if I had to bet on it, and I would say it's definitely plus or minus four minutes of that number. Not one police officer could even file a report to what happened. So, so what you you're trying to say here, hold, hold on, everybody's a little confused about this. I, I'm reading the chat room, everyone's a little bit uh, confused by the story. You, you're saying that someone got shot and that when the police came that everybody lied for the shooter uh, for some reason. They, they lied on behalf right. of the shooter and, and blamed it on three black guys that didn't exist. Now, uh, And your buddy was the victim here. Why, why didn't your buddy say, no, it wasn't black guys, it was such and such person who shot me? Yeah, see, that's where it gets real weird, and it's hard to explain on the radio show. But I will say this. Look up uh, AL.com. That's for Alabama.com. They have Birmingham section. It's pretty easy to find. You can look up man gets shot in buttocks, (laughs) B-U-T-T-O-C-K-S. It's kind of funny because my buddy gets shot in the ass, and it came straight out of the sty. It didn't hit a bone. Um, but anyway, there is multiple reports on what even happened in the game. If you go to myfoxal.com, which is M-Y-F-O-X-A-L, that's the local Fox, you know, degenerate side of whatever for Birmingham, and they'll report a completely different story for the exact same situation. Well, okay, so I'm looking right and now. I, I found it. Hold on. I found, it, I found the buttocks story here. It says, one man was shot. This is on August 11th, this story. One man was shot in the buttocks and leg after an apparent fight over gambling in Birmingham's Lakeview area Monday afternoon. The shooting happened Monday in the 600 block of 27th Street South, according to Birmingham Police Lieutenant Sean Edwards. A friend drove the male victim to the St. Vincent's Hospital, which is just more than a block away, Edwards said. The man was shot in the leg and the buttocks, but his injuries don't appear life-threatening, Edwards said. The fight apparently started after the two were gambling illegally at the location. No suspects are in custody. So now where are you saying I can find on uh, myfox.al.com? Right. there. Okay, was that on the al.com? Yes. Okay. The other one is uh, myfoxal.com. And it's the local Fox station, and they give a different reflection of the situation. I'd rather you just read it, really. I'm trying to let's see. Um, trying to find this one. The funny thing is, though, I know several people at the game that day, and they give a third a third separate situation. I can't find this, this myfoxal.com. I'm not finding I found the buttocks story on ale.com at myfoxal.com. Uh, I'm trying to find it. I cannot well, find that it story. It's a little bit like a – it's more than a week delayed, but I swear to you I have read it on there. And what they say is that three African-American gentlemen come in the place with red bandanas and rob the place and end up shooting the owner in the thigh. Now, here's a good story. A, here's a good story from today. On that same myfoxal.com. So like, it's funny. Like, once I'm brought over to a local news site for somewhere that I'm not familiar with, I always want to read the stories to kind of see what's going on in their neck of the woods. This is what's happening in uh, this area of Alabama, in Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, I'm sorry. I, I guess this is being reported here, but happened in New York. A northern New York couple 
use a dog to lure two Amish sisters from their family farm stand with a plan to turn them into stri- into slaves. Nicole Vasey well, admitted that now. she and her... Hold on, be serious with me, yes or no, man. Are you fucking with me, girl? Because I was calling with this legit. Are you trying to, like, fuck with me here with this story? No, I'm reading a story up on myfoxal.com right now. I know, but it's from New York, man. I'm in Birmingham, Alabama. Do you know the difference? I'm no, in I, Birmingham. I know, but this like, is on myfoxal.com. shit about New York, man. Okay. I, I, so I don't understand That's why cool. this is on there, but it's, it's an AP story, I guess. Well, but... the difference is the dude that was shot and went to... To St. Vincent's, a, a blog from the game is literally a guy that graduated with me. So, like, I, I've known him for a long time, and it's just funny how there can be 15 people at a game and there be three different major stories in national news. Yeah. Well, I find that major, like, interesting how that can even be possible. Yeah. Well, I want to find the other stories. Birmingham like... police that showed up. I, I want to see the other stories here. That's what I want to see, but I can't find them. But, you know, if you can find them and send them to me or post them or whatever, that's uh, – you can go ahead. You got it, man. I appreciate the time anyway. Good luck, girl. Okay. Peace. Thank you, Raul. Wow. Weird call. I don't know what to say about that one. <laughs> but, I mean, it's kind of – it's kind of a uh, – it would be an interesting story if we could find the contradictions there, that there's some kind of cover-up about a shooting at a poker game. That is something I would like to talk about. But i, I, I got to find it in there. Here's a text message from the 608 area code. It's in court for poker to get ruled a game of skill in Wisconsin. If that happens, would it be smart to open a card room right away? So I guess they're talking about opening up uh, a card room in uh, Wisconsin. Would this be smart to do if if it's legal, yeah. I mean, if you can do it cheaply, but there's a lot of startup co- startup costs to that sort of thing. But yeah, if you can get one open cheaply and it's in an, an area you think could get traffic, then give it a shot. Call you're on the air. No, they hung up on me. They hung up on me. That's not very nice. Eight four seven area code, and they hung up on me. Well. We are. Oh, we're not finished. i got to finish my editorial. Oh, here comes the caller again from 847. You're on the air. Todd, hey, how you doing? Yeah, hi, who is right this? Right over the Chicago. Who is it? I'm sorry? Hey, how you doing? Hi, who's calling? Sure, this is Brian uh, from the Chicago area. Oh, okay, hi. Hey, quick question for you. You're, you're the uh, ultimate ethics guy for poker, so... I have a little dispute at the local card room. Yes. And uh, what happened was uh, basically a guy was going north a lot, you know, the opposite of going south. So he was kind of adding on to his chip stack. And, you know, it's one of those things where usually people don't say a whole lot, but somebody complained, caused a big problem, kicked him out, maybe even 86 of them for that. So I want to know what you thought, if that's an ethical issue. I know people and to freak out when people go south, but what about when people go north? Well, wait a minute. Was this a tournament, or was this a uh, this is a cash game? No, this is a cash game. So, so wait, it's so, a case so, where people add on to their stack a little bit. So but I, I thought you were allowed to do know, that. Why is it uh, – I mean, this happens all you know, the time. Well, it does in a limit game, but more in a no-limit game it doesn't because it's a capped game. Oh, it's so a capped it's a game. It's big blind cap. So, so, Correct. So it's more of a – it's a 2-5 game, 500 cap. And this, you know, the stacks were pretty deep. A lot of guys had 1,200, 1,500, et cetera. 
And this guy, inside about 30 minutes of winning a pot, had 1500 So he was just kind of pulling money out of his pocket. Yeah. Well, if it's a cap game and he's doing it you know, against the rules, or I see why people are getting pissed. Um, I remember in Limit Hold'em at the Bellagio, there was a guy named Sam who was notorious for adding on to his stack. And, I mean, it looked like this guy was always winning. He had gigantic stacks in front of him, and yet you would see him earlier in the game, and he doesn't have that much. So I was fooled. I actually believed the guy was just killing it. And it's when he was like when he was in the game with me, he always ran pretty well too. So it seemed to make sense. But he just seemed to be winning more than I would have imagined he was winning. And it turned out that he was known for always adding chips while he plays secretly to make it look like he's uh, he's always winning and giving himself a good image. And uh, I guess he really was doing that because now you don't even see him in that forty eighty game anymore. Now you see him in like uh, ten twenty. So. And this guy was like a big gambler, too. So he was not a conservative guy who dropped down levels if he didn't have to. But as far as this game, you're talking about the cap game, and he's uh, sneaking money onto the table. Uh, it's not as bad as, as going south, as you say. But, uh, you know, it's still – there's a point of having a cap game. And if this guy is violating the point of the cap game, then uh, he shouldn't be in one. He should go play a game that's not a cap game and – you sit in the game, you got to follow whatever the rules are. Right, and that's, and that's where kind of a few of the, uh, the players had a big discussion about because the whole theory of the cap game is really probably not to protect the player. It's to protect the house's interest because, obviously, uh, people would have to buy in more. The game goes better than if one guy gets it up to 3,000, big, big guy comes in, covers them, and stacks them in one hand. So going to the point about going south where people – to freak out on, you know, if they're rat-holing or going south. Um, that, too, would you would almost look at it fundamentally that it would actually protect the house also because uh, that fish would be less likely to get stacked. So if he takes money off the table, it's more likely than he, the game would be going. But people don't seem to look at it that way. They look at it as going south as kind of the cardinal sin. Um, and I guess a lot of people make the point that when you really think about it, again, the only reason the cap is in place probably to protect the house's interest, not so much the players. So, well, it, it might uh, be, but ideas... you know, that's the rule there, and that's what everybody has. To, it's one of these things where if everybody has to follow a certain rule in a game, when someone can get around that rule, then they give themselves some kind of advantage by doing so, and that's why it shouldn't be allowed, regardless of who it protects or helps. And, and I can understand people anyway who just prefer to play in a cap game uh, because they, they just don't want they, – they want to – only be up against other big stacks who have earned their way there and not just a, a deep-pocketed person who could just sit there and cover them and get lucky and, and beat them. No, you're right. I know. It, it just – another guy made kind of a funny point, too, saying how, you know, if you're watching a game and, and you bet on the game and, you know, it's like $25, you can't take 25 off of your stack and pay somebody because then you don't have the same amount of stack. Yeah. But you could order a $25 meal – and the house has no problem with you taking $25 off the fee for that. Ah, that's interesting. Yeah. Well, I, look, look, the house has a, a reason for everything they do, and it's it's always to help themselves in some way, either directly or indirectly. But, you know, the bottom line is whatever rules are set down for the game, uh, it's important that everybody follows them just so everybody's on the same playing field here, not so much that uh, for the spirit of the rules, but just so everyone has the same opportunities. So that's that's why I support them being followed. No, I agree. 
Okay, thanks, Scott. Hey, keep doing a great show. Talk okay. to you later. Thank you. Bye. So let me get to my editorial now. And I, I, by the way, I want to thank everybody for their phone calls, even one step who's trying to hit me up for uh, free meals. Didn't have any calls this show, and now we got a whole lot in a row, so that's good. Anyway, uh, I want to finish that uh, editorial about calling versus writing for customer service issues. I have recently been been speaking with people, not friends of mine, I should say peers, not on this site, but I've been speaking with some people about some issues they've had customer service-wise, nothing having to do with me, and how they plan to resolve them, or how they have been trying to resolve them. And I've been hearing things like this. So I'm putting together a good letter to send their corporate headquarters, or I wrote a letter and it's been six weeks and I haven't gotten a response and it's really pissing me off. Or I wrote a letter and they never responded to me. Or I wrote a letter and they told me no and didn't really address anything I brought up in the letter. So I say, okay, why are you writing a letter? Why are you not speaking to a live human being? And they say, oh, no, no, no. I I wouldn't do that. I said, why wouldn't you do that? And they, they all have a similar answer. Because letter writing gets everything documented. It gets everything you want to say out there all at once. And it's read by someone who has the power and influence to change things and to fix things. And if you call, well, then you get some kind of low-level call center person who isn't empowered to do anything. So it's always better to write letters, they tell me. And I say, wait a minute, but you're telling me that you wrote and they didn't respond to you. Or you're telling me you wrote and you got a form letter back. Or you got just a no without any explanation. And then what do you do? Write another letter and wait for another six weeks to get an answer? And they said, well, that's just the way you have to do it. And I said, no, it isn't. You should not be writing letters to any companies, emails or U.S. mail. You should not be writing letters unless that's the only way you are allowed to communicate with them. For example, poker stars. Poker stars you can't call. If you have a problem, you have to email their support. You have no choice. So in that case, of course you have to write a letter. But it is always better to speak one-on-one with a live human being. Always better than the letter. The letter thing is antiquated thinking. It's 1980s thinking. It's 1970s thinking. As much as I love the 80s, there are some things that have changed and that you can do better today than you could do in the 80s. Today, the customer service model is different. In fact, it's actually more hostile to the customer than it used to be. But one thing that has changed is that in general... You can reach someone by the phone at most companies, not all. You can reach someone by the phone, usually not the first person you speak to, but you can reach someone who is empowered enough to solve your problem, who is intelligent enough to understand your problem, and who is willing to listen to you, and in some cases is willing to give you something extra for your trouble. 
Now, what about the letter writing? Let me tell you the problem with the letter writing. You might have a fantasy about letter writing that is not true. The fantasy that a lot of people have regarding writing complaint letters to companies is that they'll get all the facts down on paper, they'll mail it to the corporate address, sometimes even an official-looking address like uh, uh, vice president, corporate relations, blah, blah, customer relations, blah, 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 and they think they're writing to someone important. Here's the reality. Also in their fantasy, the person receives the letter, reads every word carefully, understands everything, and tirelessly investigates it until they come up with a fair and equitable solution. But here is the reality. The reality is that when you send a letter to a company, especially a big company, it gets routed to a department that answers hundreds or thousands of letters every day. In fact, the people who are hired to answer and read these letters are judged on how many letters they get through every day. That's the metric in which they are judged. So they do not have time to read every little detail. They don't have time to fully understand everything you're laying out to them. They do not have time to fully investigate the situation. They skim it. They try to get the general gist of what you're talking about. They tune everything else out. And then they try to come up with a boilerplate, one-size-fits-all solution. Sometimes it's giving you some token credit, $25 or whatever. Sometimes it's, uh, you know, if you're asking for a billing mistake to be corrected, if it seems like it's... Uh, if it seems like it's something very small, they just give it to you. If, if it seems like it's a little bit bigger, then they, they try to find a quick reason to deny you. Or, as I just mentioned, they try to find a reason to say no. Customer service reps, especially ones that are assigned to the department that reads and answers letters, they are trained that a letter cannot argue back. It's easy to say no to a letter. Picture yourself working for one of these companies, receiving letter after letter after letter. If you get a letter that says, Dear company, you messed up this, you messed up that, here's what happened, here's the detail, here's, the, here's that detail. I want you to do such and such for me. What do you do? If you, do you read every word of that? Do you f make it your life's mission to help this person? No, you try to get through it quickly and if your general feeling is, no, they're not right, or no, I don't think they deserve this, then you very quickly either throw it away or quickly send them a boilerplate denial letter that you already had typed up that you sent to hundreds or thousands of other people. And you know when you send out that denial that they can't argue back. They have no way to reach you. They have no way to talk to you. They can't keep hassling you until you relent. It's very easy to send someone an email or a letter saying, no, too bad, can't do it. It's very easy to say no to a letter, and it's very easy to skim or ignore a letter because a letter cannot talk back to you. However, if you get a phone call from someone who's pissed off about something, someone who needs something fixed, needs a situation resolved, and even if you don't feel like dealing with it, 
They're relentless. They keep saying it over and over until you fully understand everything, until you make it right for them. And if you don't give them what they want, they keep talking and talking and talking, and all you want to do is just be done with it. Well, there you're much more likely to relent. There you're much more likely to finish it up to where they will be satisfied and they will go away. Because if you say no to them, then they're going to keep fighting. Now, of course, you have to be empowered to do the things they're asking for. But the point is, live one-on-one interaction is what gets these problems solved. Letters do not. Letters are not read very carefully. They're easily denied. And you rarely get any kind of time put into the problem. When you write a letter to a company, you are letting them decide how much time they're going to put into your situation. When you call them, you decide how much time is into the situation because even if they hang up on you, you can call back. So you're in control of how much time they have to put into dealing with it, whereas a letter, they can take anywhere between two seconds and basically whatever they want and do away with you. And they know that even though you can write another letter, it's a very slow process, and they know you'll eventually give up. They know it takes you a lot more effort to write the long letter to them than it is for them to open it and throw it away. So letter writing is not the superior way to obtain results. Now, you'll always find people who swear by letter writing. There are people who will say, I wrote a letter and I got such and such. I got $50 extra credit on my bill. I wrote a letter and they fixed my problem. I wrote a letter and they did this. I wrote a letter and did that. Hey, let me tell you something. If you write a letter to a company and get $25 credit, I could probably have called that company in one-tenth the amount of time and gotten $50 credit. It is very rare that writing a letter will be superior to calling. If you are not allowed to call, if you cannot reach any department that's meaningful, I understand why you're writing a letter. Some companies have a policy where the lower-level reps do not have any power and cannot help you even if they want to. And in that case, you have to write a letter. Some companies cannot be reached by phone at all, like PokerStars. But many other companies have a corporate number or an office of the president, or you can keep asking them to transfer you higher and higher, or a retentions office, or a customer relations office. There's, there's so many different offices that are empowered to solve problems. And when you are explaining things one-on-one with another human being, that's the way to get the problem solved, not by writing letters. For those of you that read the Poker Fraud Alert forum, think of when someone shows up on the forum and posts a very long, long, long story about a topic you're not very interested in. How often do you read all the way through the post? Just about never, probably. You probably scan the first few lines, go, okay, this is boring. Scan down a few pages, read a little bit more, okay, still boring. Scan down again, another few pages, still boring. Okay, I'm not going to read all this crap, you say. But that's the same thing these people do when you send in your letters. So, 
always try to find a meaningful person to talk to customer service wise with any company. The ideal situation is to reach an office that is dedicated to handling escalated customer service matters, an office of the president, a office of customer relations, a corporate office, whatever. They're the ones with power. They're the ones who will go above and beyond for you. They also tend to employ the more intelligent people who can understand it. That's always superior to writing letters. Only write letters as a last resort. Still don't believe me? Well, if you've read Poker Fraud Alert, you have seen that just about every time I have a customer service fiasco, I come out with what I was trying to do in the first place. I I end up winning even though I end up putting a lot of time into it. A few times I don't, but I usually do. Usually my persistence pays off. So I know how to get what I need to get at customer service. I know how to get things made right for me when companies make mistakes. If anyone knows the right way to approach it, it's me. I'm not good at everything in life. There's some things I'm okay at. There's some things I'm bad at. But one thing I know I'm very good at is resolving customer service issues. So trust me on this one. Don't write the letters. And believe me, if you take that advice, it will save you a lot of hassle. There's nothing worse than writing a letter, waiting eight weeks for a response, and then getting a form letter back saying, sorry, can't help you. The weird thing is these same people that bitch about the letters that get ignored or get the form letter back or get denied, I tell them to call the corporate office and they won't believe me. They're like, no, 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 that won't work. They just won't even try. Okay. Enough about that. It just kind of pissed me off recently when people were insisting I had no clue what I was talking about with these letters. I'm telling them, you're doing the wrong thing. You're approaching it the wrong way. And they're like, no, 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 no. Letter writing is the, that's the gentleman's way of handling customer service issues. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> well, we start early, we end early. That's the that's the one downfall about starting early for those of you that like a long show that goes deep into the night. I don't mean into the night with Drexel, I mean deep into the evening. If I start on time, then we tend to end earlier in the evening. But hey, this was only five days after the last show, so I had a feeling I wasn't going to be flooded with material. Maybe next week we'll have a response from Kim Shannon. Maybe next week we will have some more news to talk about. I hope so, because we will be back in another five days on Tuesday, August 26th. I want to tell you about another change in schedule. Actually, the August 26th show is on its normal schedule on Tuesday, but the following week, September 2nd show will be delayed by one day, because I'll be recovering from visiting Molly with one step. No, but uh, I won't be able to make September 2nd be there the next day on Wednesday, September 3rd. So those are the next two shows. August 26th at 6.30. That's Tuesday. Wednesday, September 3rd at 6.30. And be back on Tuesday, September 9th at 6.30. And I can really say 6.30 now. I've been doing a good job starting on time. Last few weeks, I've been starting when I say the damn show is going to start. 
because I'm trying to improve. It's my fiscal New Year's resolution. Well, I'm going to talk to Brandon again, see if maybe he will come back. Because we were talking about it, and then the the, the discussions kind of died. But I'm not letting it go that easily. I'm persistent with customer service matters. I will be persistent with Brandon and try to get him back on this damn show. So it's not just me rambling on for three hours. But for those of you that enjoy that, uh, glad to have you here. I think hats will be going out this week. Or at least next week. No, hopefully in August. We'll see. Good night and shalom.